Hi, I'm Jonas Chernick. I'm the writer, producer, and star of movies like James versus His Future Self and Ashgrove. You are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is waiting to buy Twitter at a steal. I'm your host Craig and we are here to discuss all the news, trailers, bits and pieces that were announced in November 2022. Not including the stuff that will be released after we finish recording, probably five minutes after we finish recording as it normally goes. But anyway, joining me for her long-awaited second appearance and first appearance on the news desk, it's Issa. Hello. Hello, I'm back. You're back after your Ms. Marvel essay. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it that. My audio essay on Ms. Marvel. I'm glad you wanted me back and you weren't just like, wow, this bitch talks a lot. Let's not have her. I prefer when people talk a lot because when you have a news roundup where people have no opinion, then that's always a problem because then it's might as well not release this but anyway how are you doing i'm okay thank you i've had a very stressful week on my ma but today i have a day off for the first time in a while so yeah what is your master's in for the listeners doing a master's degree in prosthetic effects so basically making cool monsters and creatures and stuff like that and yeah we're just coming to the end of the first project and trying to get everything finished on time before the christmas holidays and it's just a little bit stressful and i thought students just got drunk and slept till two in the afternoon. That has never been my experience as a student. I have only done subjects where you are in all the time, you are working <laughs> all the time, it's all contact hours all the time. It wasn't mine either. I was a commuter to my university when I was there uh, and it meant for a 9am class it was on a bus at 7am. Oh god, oh that's horrible, I'm so sorry. Then you hear someone in the class say, yeah I woke up 10 minutes ago, I hate you, whoever you are, I hate you. My BA was in design for performance and it was in Cardiff and I had a friend who went to Aberystwyth University so I went up to visit him for his birthday and he was talking about really he only has to go in on a Friday (laughs) and he doesn't really have to go in for anything. I go in every day. I go in on weekends. I remember one of our workshop technician tutors was telling us about how theatre design students have the second highest number of contact hours underneath medical students. Okay. It's ridiculous going into things related to theatre and performing arts. It's like the stereotype that artists just swan through their day and don't do anything, but doing any arts related subject, you will work so hard all the time. There we go. We've dispelled that myth. Anybody that thought that was the case, yeah. <laughs> you've now been corrected. So we've done a duty here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Podcast over. Let's go home. That's it. Yeah. We've done a service to the world. Let's start before we get into our trailers and things. Let's start with what we've been watching or generally what media we've been consuming. So what have you been watching? What's been in front of your eyes? I am watching a lot of TV because, well, firstly, I need stuff on in the background while I'm working. And secondly, I'm going into film and TV specifically, so I like to keep up to date with stuff. I watched a lot of stuff recently. Dead End Paranormal Park, released season two. That show is amazing. If you like animated stuff and if you're a fan of shows like Gravity Falls and that kind of spectrum of slightly spooky mystery type animated shows, Dead End Paranormal Park is the new show for you. 
I love it so much. It's about some kids who work in a haunted theme park and there's like angels and demons and dogs getting possessed by demons and being able to talk and do magic and stuff like that. Cool. Fantastic show. And then I've been watching Abbott Elementary is releasing a new season. Probably my favorite sitcom at the moment about teachers at a school in Philadelphia and in that Parks and Rec mockumentary talk to camera kind of style. And I've recently been watching for the first time all the way through What We Do in the Shadows, which is very, very good. I'm already on season four. I've just been blitzing through it. I stopped at season two, not for any particular reason. It was just, I got to the end of season two and I haven't picked it up after then for some reason. I will at some point. It's really good. If you put Matt Berry in something, chances are I'll watch it. Oh yeah, the cast is absolutely fantastic in that show. Everyone on Twitter talks about Matt Berry, but I think the whole cast is absolutely fantastic. The woman who plays Nadja is so funny. And Guillermo as well might actually be my favourite character at this point. He's so good. I recently rewatched a show which was Fresh Meat, the British sitcom about university students. Not because I was going back to university, but because I just sort of remembered it existed. And my partner is American and we really like watching shows together that we get to kind of go like, okay, now you're going to experience a distilled part of my culture. <laughs> so that was very fun having to pause it every five minutes and be like, okay, let me explain the stereotype about really posh university students in England. Not real life at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've watched a lot of crap for my course as well. I had to watch the Warcraft movie because it was relevant to something I was doing on my course and that movie was terrible. I don't watch that movie. Unless you're looking to laugh at a terrible movie. I couldn't decide whether I thought the film was bad or not because I felt like I wasn't the audience for it anyway. It's difficult to follow if you don't play World of Warcraft, I think. Oh yeah, totally. I haven't played the game. It completely is. It's impossible to keep up with and they make so many baffling filmmaking decisions. For example, the main character just changes personality halfway through the movie. He just becomes an entirely different character out of absolutely nowhere. He goes from being this gruff middle-aged dad to being the winking, smirking, Star-Lord, Han Solo, giving quips all the time kind of character. What happened? What is happening in this movie? And ironically, the switch happens after his son dies. So it's like, oh, is this his weird trauma response that he's just suddenly Star-Lord? I don't understand. <laughs> he's young, free and single now. He doesn't have a family. He can just do whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. It's such a bizarre movie. And there's some terrible CGI. If you're laughing at bad visuals in movies. It's fun for that, at least. <laughs> I feel like I should be able to remember some better things I watched recently. Oh yeah, I watched Sorry to Bother You. That's an excellent movie. Rewatched that because it was relevant to something I was studying. Highly recommend. Oh, and Avenue 5. I've been watching Avenue 5. That's a really good show. It takes a little while to warm up. It's like the new Armando Iannucci show, the guy who did The Thick of It, and I think Veep as well. It's his usual thing of a bunch of people who are authority figures who don't actually know what they're doing and are complete bumbling disasters. But this time, instead of it being people who work for the government, it's the people who captain a spaceship. So it's like <laughs> the thick of it in space. Is there as much swearing as the thick of it? No, not quite as much. A little bit. And there are some actors from the thick of it who show up in it. Rebecca Front is one of the main characters. And the guy, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played Ben in the thick of it has a small role in season two. He might stay on actually, I'm not sure at the moment. You get to see lots of British mainstays, like the guy who played Johnson in Peep Show is, has like a two episode appearance in it and is just fantastic, basically playing the same character, but it completely works. Hugh Laurie is the main character. It's very fun. That's a big list of stuff. Anything else? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, the bigger the better. <laughs> Before I list my relatively small list of things. I have been getting back into, I think I said it on the last episode, I unironically slash ironically love reality television. <laughs> 
I think it's a fascinating medium and I also just love to watch trash. And I recently got back into watching episodes of Wife Swap and Trading Spouses oh because it's really good background entertainment. And also again, my partner hadn't seen it and I was like, oh, you have to watch Wife Swap. It's fantastically <laughs> shit. That's been my chuck on in the background while I'm painting my orc and stuff like that watching at the moment. It's horrible and amazing. I love it. We all have our background things. I usually just watch people on Twitch while I'm doing other things. Fair enough. I'm just like, oh, a reality TV show I watched when I was 14. That's what I want to watch in the background while I'm working. <laughs> no judgment here. My viewing pool is very small by comparison. I haven't been watching an awful lot lately. I finally finished The Rings of Power. I went off it for a bit, not for any particular reason. It was just a drop tip because I do that sometimes. But I finally finished it and I did enjoy it. I think the first season is a bit of a test bed for what works and what doesn't. And then the show will change in its second season, probably. But it was good. The reveals made sense in the final episode. And it looks great. It's a stunning looking show. It ought to be because they spent a billion dollars on one season of television. So, of course, it's got to look good. <laughs> yeah, isn't it like the most expensive season of television ever made or something? Yeah, something like that. But it'll maybe get cheaper from here on because they've made the sets, they've made the costumes, they've done all that. So they'll just be reusing assets after this. So it'll probably get a bit cheaper after this. I've been meaning to watch that. I haven't got around to it yet. The first project I'm working on, I'm sculpting an orc character. So I was like, oh, I should probably watch this. Not that I'm going to make my character look like an orc from Lord of the Rings, but because it's just relevant. And I just haven't, I'm not the hugest Lord of the Rings fan anyway. So I just kind of put it off and put it off and put it off. And I'm like, I'll watch the shit. Instead. It's a choice. Yeah, certainly was a choice. But yeah, I'll probably check it out at some point. I've been watching The Winchesters, which is the supernatural prequel that is six episodes in as we record, and it's okay. It isn't setting the world alight with being high quality or anything like that, but the two leads are good. It plays around with the universe quite nicely, and it noticeably avoids that prequel problem of winking at the audience as to things that will happen in the future every five minutes. So I've been really appreciating that, not being pandered to as a Supernatural fan. But I don't think it's going to see a season two at this rate. Oh, really? I think it's just fine. I have no idea what the ratings are or anything like that. It's just my oh, okay. basis of it. One thing that annoys me about it is it's a team show because that's the thing that's in vogue at the moment. So it's mm -hmm. John and Mary and then there's other characters. And the formula is so on display that it's really frustrating as in every week it's, and now it's this person's turn or now it's this person's turn. Mm. So you get John and Mary every week getting the lion's share of the development and then one other character will get something to do right. within the episode and then the next yeah. week is the other character and so on. I'm annoyed at that because every week I just see the formula. I really hate it when I see a formula. I know all shows or most shows have a formula that they follow, but mm. some are better at hiding it than others and this is not good at hiding it. Yeah, that's fair. I've not watched Supernatural. I've I was on Tumblr around the time that the fandom was at its height, so... If anything could put you off ever watching a show, it's that. <laughs> I just think it probably wouldn't be for me from what I know of what people say about it. I've avoided most of that, but I got bits and pieces of what was going on there and it would be quite off-putting if you only listened to that. <laughs> I loved the show. I mean, I stuck with it for 15 years. Almost half my life spent watching Supernatural, if I think about it. Wow. I was shocked when I found out, didn't it end last year or something? And people were talking about how they did the sort of gay bait and switch thing at the very end. Honestly, my reaction was just, wait, this show is still on? <laughs> it didn't end like 12 years ago? <laughs> yeah, I think it ended in 2020. It was one of the first shows that came back after the pandemic. I remember there was this right. whole thing about yeah. the flu 
Jared and Jensen to Canada and made them sit in a hotel room for two weeks before they could start filming. And then you see the last few episodes are actually quite sparse in terms of other characters. Yeah, you see that in some shows that were made around that time. The one where it was really obvious for me was Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where you have characters at big press announcements or walking down the street in a city and there's just nobody there. You know why it's happened, it's fair enough. I think it feels more obvious maybe even when the show isn't as good, because then you start to notice things like that more easily. The gay bait and switch thing, that was certainly one reading of it, and it wasn't a reading I was actually aware of until someone mentioned it to me, but I didn't read it that way. It was just one male character telling another male character that they love them, and that, to me, doesn't necessarily interpret as a romantic thing. So that's not how I read it. I don't know if I'm wrong in my reading, but that's not how I took it. So again, obviously, I haven't seen the show, but from what I saw of what other people were saying, it was this thing of the people who made the show having become aware at a certain point that there was this big fandom that shipped those two characters and saw them as having a potential romantic spark between each other or whatever. And then they just very much sort of queer baited those fans a lot throughout the years is what I've heard. And that people saw that as an attempt to be able to say, look, we did it, but then not actually have the characters be in a relationship or show it in a positive way or anything like that. That's just what I have seen other people saying. I haven't seen the show. And I'm not in a position to comment because I don't really know much about that side of the fandom. I've not been involved in it. And it sounds like just as well. It meant that I could continue enjoying the show. But <laughs> The Winchesters is fine. I'm not turned off from it. I keep watching it and I keep reviewing it. I've been watching Stargirl, which is on its final oh. season, as it turns out, and quite enjoying that. It's got, I think, two episodes left. Okay. God, I watched it like a year or two ago, and I think there was only one season out or something. I was like, yeah, this is pretty enjoyable. It's sweet and fun and a little bit campy in a fun way. I didn't realise they were making more. I should check out more of that show. Yeah, it's very much Silver Age DC, but modernised in yeah. a lot of ways. I enjoy it. Again, I keep watching it. I'm not reviewing it. Andrew is. That'll be coming to an end pretty soon. I'm still working my way through Andor. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm really enjoying it. It's my favourite Star Wars thing for a long time. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying that. I kind of went off the million Star Wars shows, but I'm intrigued by this one from what I've seen people saying. Part of the appeal is it doesn't constantly point at characters and say, remember this guy? And then consider that to be good storytelling. It's actually got good storytelling. Yeah. That was definitely one of the reasons I fell off all those Star Wars shows. I would start them. I started Mandalorian, I started Kenobi, and then I would just kind of fizzle out on it. People were doing good performances in them. There was good production and costume design and prosthetics and props, and they were great to look at, but I just always would kind of go, I don't enjoy the whole, aren't you such a Star Wars fan? Look at this (laughs) thing stuff. (laughs) I'm worried that we're taking a huge step forward with Andor in terms of quality storytelling and then Ahsoka will come out and that will be just what we've talked about there. (laughs) Pointing at people and saying, remember them? And calling that storytelling. That's what I'm really worried about, but we'll see. Plus, from what I've seen of the casting of Ahsoka in live action, I don't like that version. I don't like Rosario Dawson in that role. Oh, really? I think I'm so connected to the animated version of Ahsoka with voice and everything, so it's difficult for me to see a live action interpretation of that. That's fair. And I think a lot of fans will have that barrier as well because there'll be as many fans that grew up on the Clone Wars as there will be grew up in the original trilogy. So it's a big install base, I think. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I haven't really watched much Clone Wars. My brother is very, very into it. And I know that he was really excited about Rosario Dawson being cast. He really likes her as an actress. He was super into Daredevil and stuff. 
Yeah, I like her as an actress. I just don't like that take on the character. Fair. I don't have to watch it. That's the beauty of it, I suppose. Yeah, you can just choose not to watch it and you don't even have to complain about it on Twitter. I don't (laughs) complain about anything on Twitter. I don't tweet at all, so... I'll just complain to other people and then they can ignore me like they usually do. (laughs) Oh god, I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but the other thing I was watching was Star Trek Lower Decks and Star Trek Prodigy. God, they're both so good and I love them. Lower Decks finished a while (laughs) ago now, a few weeks ago now. Yeah, really good third season. Prodigy is on my list as something I'm currently watching. Absolutely love it. It's my favourite modern Star Trek show. Oh really? Oh that's cool. I think it's the most consistent of the lot. The others are a bit all over the place in terms of how they do things but okay. prodigies i always say it might be a bit of an indictment of the live action shows because you've got this show that's aimed at kids on nickelodeon that's doing what they're trying to do better so i wonder if it's just that the live action shows aren't sophisticated enough but pretending they are whereas prodigy is just okay we have this point to make and we're going to make it over the next 20 minutes and then they do it yeah the thing about the animated shows and you see it in lower decks as well is that because it's animated they don't have to worry about the cost of having aliens on screen all the time and the work that has to go into that. And so Prodigy, you have a show where the cast is almost entirely aliens and the only human is a hologram. And that's just a different kind of story that they can tell. And I love that we can have that. The most recent episode that came out when it ended, I feel that thing of, I need that next episode now. I need to know how this ends up. It's really good. I think the two animated shows in Strange New Worlds are for me sort of neck and neck on favourites, but for different reasons and i do really like discovery i didn't end up finishing season four i do need to go back and watch that and picard wasn't really for me but i also didn't really watch tng so i liked seven of nine was in it (laughs) (laughs) picard is not a good show i was trying to be more polite but yeah i really thought it was bad (laughs) oh we've torn it apart on this podcast several times oh okay i didn't know (laughs) that don't worry about it i was worried i would say picard was shit and you'd be like, I love Picard, how dare you? You can say that and then I might say that back anyway, it's not a problem. That's where (laughs) debate comes from, but it's not a good show. I think Strange New Worlds, it needed to push itself a bit further to be better. There's some things where you see a lot more potential than the show is actually making use of, and then it just doesn't drive it in as much as it could. I feel like that could happen with season two. I would say there was only one episode of Strange New Worlds. I don't even know if I'd say I disliked it, but just that I didn't enjoy as much as the rest. The rest of it, I felt like it really harkened back to that sort of rompy, one episode adventure kind of vibe. And with the aesthetic of the show being much more retro and colorful, it felt like they were kind of going, okay, yeah, this is the show that can give you the vibes of the original series, but in a modern set dressing kind of thing. I'm sure we had this discussion before. The one episode I didn't like was your favourite one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was my favourite one mostly because I... So the one I'm talking about is the, like, fairy tale fantasy episode where everyone on the ship gets turned into fantasy characters and stuff. I love that from a production standpoint and watching people get to have fun switching up the genre of their show and the way they put that into the costumes and the performances and stuff I find really interesting and also Mbenga is one of my favorite characters so I loved getting an episode for him but yeah the whole show I thought was really really good and I'm very much looking forward to the season two the only episode I didn't like was the random child sacrifice episode (laughs) not because I'm against that being a theme in the show but just I felt like it didn't quite land for me well that's what i'm talking about when it comes to their storytelling it's you have this idea here but you're not quite getting there you're not fully exploring it right yeah i think that's something they need to get better at in subsequent seasons for sure all the shows do really apart from prodigy apparently and 
lower decks, but lower decks storytelling priorities are in different directions anyway. Yeah, yeah. I love that we can have how many shows is it? Is it five? Five current Star Trek shows, and they all essentially have a different audience in mind and a different way of telling their story in mind, and I think that's really cool. If you don't like Picard, you can just go and watch a different show, and if Lower Decks isn't for you, you can just go and watch a different show and you still get to watch Star Trek. It's the same with Star Wars as well. Just because they're making all this stuff doesn't mean I need to watch it, so that's good. Yeah, Star Wars and Marvel very much has gotten to the point where it's just like, oh, I don't actually have to watch all of these anymore because I literally physically can't. I still haven't watched Love and Thunder. I've heard bad things. I do want to watch it at some point, but I have limited time for watching things right now. So I was just kind of like, I'll put that on the back burner. And my last TV show that I was watching, I've only watched the first, well, two-parter opening was Transformers Earthspark. Oh my God, how did I forget that? Oh my God, it's so good. Well, I liked the first two. I'm not a huge Transformers fan as such. I didn't watch it growing up. So largely my introduction to the franchise was the Michael Bay movies. Ah, sorry. Well, I like the first one, and I like the third one as well. The others are painful to sit through, though. But I like those movies, and I've watched, I think it was called Transformers Animated. Mm-hmm. That's a good show. It was good, yeah. And Transformers Prime, I watched that as well. Yeah. And I've seen the first two episodes of this. And from what I know about the franchise, which is not that much, obviously. Oh, Bumblebee, that's a great movie as well. I really like that. Yeah, the Bumblebee movie, that is the best live-action movie, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just the first film again, but much more succinct and well-written and things. But the thing about Earthspark is, based on what I know about the franchise, it's upending some stuff. Slight spoilers, but the Autobots and Decepticons aren't at war, at least in the first two episodes, which got me as a surprise, actually. I was very happy when I watched that. I used to be really into Transformers. I used to be one of the people who ran the UK Transformers convention. I was very (laughs) in the Transformers community for a long time. And it just kind of fizzled out a little bit for me. But yeah, Earthspark... I checked it out because I saw so many friends of mine from the community saying that it was a breath of fresh air and it was doing things with an animated series that we had seen maybe done in the comics, but not done in an animated show. The whole thing of the Autobot Decepticon War being over and dealing with the aftermath of it and this different characterization of Megatron and some of the other characters. And so, yeah, I checked it out and I absolutely love it. It's got me back into it in a very big way. It's a really good show. And also the human characters in it are really good too, which is rare in Transformers media. (laughs) I thought they were okay in Prime. Prime and Animated are actually probably the other two better examples of human characters being utilised in Transformers media. But yeah, the new characters, Twitch and Thrash, fantastic new characters and the connection they have to the human children creates a really good springboard point for the rest of the show. And then having Optimus and Megatron be such gigantic dorks. (laughs) I was just like, this is fantastic characterization. I love this for them. Having Alita 1 get to be an actual character. Yes, please. Thank you. I'm struggling with Alan Tudyk as Optimus Prime because all I've ever really heard was Peter Cullen, apart from in Transformers Animated, where it was someone else. But he was younger anyway, or supposed to be. Oh, yeah, yeah. It sounds like Alan Tudyk's trying to do a Peter Cullen impression of sorts, which I think is what makes it sound so off-putting to me. I was actually quite impressed that I thought he wasn't really doing that. It sounds like Optimus, but because of the way he's characterised and stuff as well, I felt like it was him making it his own a little bit, but that's probably in the writing too. Yeah, I'll need to see more though. I've only seen the first two episodes, so maybe it'll grow on me. Oh yeah, you've only seen two. Okay. I haven't finished it, but I've watched like seven episodes, I think. And yeah, I'm big fan so far. It's very good. There's 10, but the first two are essentially part one, part two, and then the last two are part one and part two. So it's really eight episodes. Yeah. I'll go back to it. I will finish it at some point. 
that's what I do. I just start things and then I have to get back to them at some point and then forget what happened and start again. Yeah, and that was the way. In terms of movies, haven't really been watching that much. I've seen Wakanda Forever, which I thought was all right. I wasn't blown away by it. I wasn't disappointed by it. It was all right. There'll be a podcast on that coming up at some point that you can listen to me talk more about how I thought it was all right. I haven't seen it. I don't get to go to the cinema much. And I went to see Glass Onion, the Knives Out sequel in the cinema as well. And I thought it was excellent. I really enjoyed Uh, it. Okay, that makes me happy. I'm quite looking forward to that. I really like Nice Out. Drops on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Okay. I was glad I saw it in the cinema because one thing that comes up on every news podcast where a Netflix thing is discussed is it's just something that I will never watch. It's a trailer that I'll talk about and then I'll never watch the actual thing that appears. Mm. I think it's just because I can watch it whenever I want, so therefore I just never watch it. But if I have to make an effort to go to the cinema to watch something that will be on Netflix later, then that's a task. It's something that... planning to do and then I'll go and do it. I find that I'll pay more attention to it in the cinema as well. When I watch things at home, I sometimes just have to put my phone across the room just so I don't haphazardly check it or play Tetris or something like that. Oh my God, yeah. I'm I'm so bad for that. It mostly happens when something isn't gripping my attention, so I consider that the fault of the media that I'm watching rather than the fault of <laughs> me not having a good attention span. So I'm blaming that, the people that made bad. it, but... Still, it was much better to sit in a dark room on a big screen and just watch it. Yeah, yeah. Probably have undiagnosed ADHD, so even if I'm really enjoying something, I will still pick up my phone and look at it (laughs) when I'm watching a movie or something. Do you also have the weird thing in your head where you're like, oh, I don't want to watch a movie that's too long of a commitment, but then you'll just sit and watch like five episodes of a TV show in a row. It was the same length of a movie. Or YouTube videos for three hours. Yeah, but for some reason it feels different because... It feels like you have other jumping off points that you could take, but if it's a movie, it's like, no, no, I've got to watch the whole thing. Yeah, I think there's some kind of psychology to that. But it's all smartphones. They're ruining our lives. That's what it is. <laughs> Except I need it for my work and I keep my plan for the week inside it. So that's it for movies, really. I haven't really been watching much else. Just haven't been to the cinema that much and things. There'll be other things that I'll be watching pretty soon, probably. Avatar 2 is out, but we'll talk about that. But that's out soon. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug before we move on to our trailers? Anything you've been working on that you want people to see? Oh, yeah. I recently released a video on my YouTube channel that I barely do anything for anymore because I'm doing a master's degree. But no, I released a video on my advice for beginner cosplayers. Because I'm also a cosplayer. And I was doing cosplay tutorial videos for the last couple of years. So, yeah, if you want to check out some video tutorials and a 20-odd minute video where I go into some quite in-depth advice I have for people who are just starting out with costume making and prop making and fabrication and crafting and stuff like that, as well as some general cosplay stuff, then you can go to youtube.com slash evilcleverdog and check those videos out. I have some Miss Marvel related videos too. I was on here doing Miss Marvel before, so yeah. <laughs> so linked. That'll be in the show notes. I watched that video. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to give sewing a go. I'm just not going to do it. It's not for me. I'm not a manual work sort of person, so that won't be happening. I appreciate that you still watch the video. Thank you. Yeah, well, I support people that I'm affiliated with. (laughs) Happily sit and watch them. It was really good. It was really succinct look at the sort of pitfalls that people might find when they start out, the things Mm -hmm. that might turn them away from it, all those really practical bits of advice, but without overloading as well, as in making it sound too daunting and things. So yeah, well done. Oh, cool. I'm glad to hear that because when I edited it and it was like 23 minutes long, I was like, oh God, <laughs> I like being thorough. So I noticed a lot of cosplay advice videos are things like, and obviously 
no shade to these people. People are at different stages or have different interests in cosplay. But like a lot of cosplay advice videos seem to be younger people talking about buying cosplay on AliExpress and buying contact lenses and things like that. It's more to do with people who purchase and assemble their costumes rather than making costumes. And it's also coming from a lot of teenage cosplayers. Which again, that's advice that their peers will find useful. It's not a bad thing. But I was like, okay, I feel like there's a lot of stuff related to getting into costume and prop making and treating it on a more detailed level in terms of what you're after when you make something that I feel like gets missed sometimes. And I feel like that would be really useful to make a video about. So that was basically where it came from. And there are some videos out there. Kamui Cosplay has one with mostly fabrication type stuff. There are also some things that often get missed off, like the proper PPE to wear, and a lot of people do resin crafting videos where they're not wearing any PPE. <laughs> and I'm just like, this needs to stop <laughs> because it's really dangerous. Yeah, they wonder why they're out sick for three weeks afterwards or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, I've actually seen numerous videos because when I make a video, I always search for similar videos just to see what other people have done before and see what's been covered, what's not been covered and stuff like that. And I found numerous videos of people saying that they were taught how to work with epoxy resin and taught that it was a safe resin that you didn't need to wear safety equipment with. And then this woman saying, I have lung damage, I have brain damage, brain fog from using this resin in an enclosed space with no respirator, no gloves, no nothing. And I'm just like, yeah, all resin is dangerous. <laughs> so that was something I made sure to emphasize in that video too, because I feel like people watch TikToks and things of people working with resin crafting and foam crafting, not wearing safety equipment because they don't know, but then those videos get lots of views and then other people try it not knowing also that you're supposed to wear safety equipment because how would they know? Just people poisoning themselves. Yeah. So I don't know, hopefully <laughs> some people watch that and buy a respirator. Buy a respirator if you're going to use resin. Yeah, or just for going outside apparently because going outside is dangerous. I did actually use my respirator at the very beginning of the pandemic before I had N95 or FFP2 masks. I just used my respirator for a yeah, while. Yeah, well, that's fair. Be a bit strange wandering around Tesco or whatever <laughs> supermarket with a respirator, but whatever. Oh yeah, I got some looks. <laughs> <laughs> My main plug is over on the We Made This Podcast Network. I've been helping out with the coverage of Prodigy on the We Are Starfleet podcast, where I've become one of the four main hosts on that. So I've been dipping in and out of that. Every few episodes I'll appear and host an episode and really enjoying doing that. And with Prodigy, we'll do one on here. Anyway, it'll be myself and yourself, hopefully, doing a Prodigy chat later on. Hopefully. <laughs> Once that all blows over. But yeah, yeah, that's my main plug. I haven't done any interviews recently or anything like that. So I would just suggest going back and listening to my interviews with the cast of Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons, where I talked to Laura Bailey, Troy Baker, Jack Dylan Grazer, and another Jack whose surname I'm blanking on, and the director as well. It was really good. There were only 10 minute interviews, oh, wow. but really good. Troy Baker, especially, that man is sharp. He just went for it. I hardly said anything. It was great. <laughs> kind of interview you want so hopefully i'll That's get cool. to do more interviews soon because i enjoy doing them but nothing really there at the moment okay let us move on to trailers we've got a short list of trailers this month i was expecting more christmas trailers but it seems that just all the christmas stuff is either already out or about to come out so there's no point in talking about it so got a few here let's start with sonic prime the netflix sonic animated series 
Have you any connection to the character of Sonic through the games or anything else? Not really. It just so happens that a lot of the trailers this month, things I haven't really watched. But I have a friend who's very into Sonic and I watched that trailer and thought, I feel like Matt might like this. My knowledge of Sonic basically mostly comes through him and that is mostly that most Sonic fans are really disappointed with a lot of the current Sonic things. The impression I've gotten over the last few years. I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this looks like fun and the characters look the way they're supposed to look and it, it looks like a cute show. Amy turns into a mecha. That looks fun. I don't know. <laughs> that was basically the extent of my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I did pen out with Sonic. I was really into the games when I was younger, when I had them on the Mega Drive. Sonic was the first game I ever completed. So it'll always have that special place. Aww. And I used to watch the cartoons. And then I dipped out of it for a bit because I didn't have the systems that Sonic was appearing on. I went the PlayStation route and they were on the Dreamcast and then the GameCube. Eventually, when they came back to PlayStation, I started getting them. And then, yeah, the games are mostly unplayable trash <laughs> for a while because, I don't know, they just released them unfinished. Yeah, that might be the impression I got from my friend as well. But there's a couple of good games. I have the new game, actually, Sonic Frontiers, because it was a really cheap Black Friday deal, so I bought it. So that'll be really annoying when it sits there for over a year and I see it for half the price that I paid for it and think, well, well, <laughs> I could have been not playing that for a year and bought it now. <laughs> That's the way it is, impulse buys. And Maybe just go play it after this. I could do that, yeah, but I've got editing to do. There's always something to do. I'm sure you can appreciate that. There's always something to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the animation looks cool. It's another Sonic goes to a new world that he's not from story, which seems to be all of the Sonic stories these days. Oh, is it? Is that a thing? Yeah, it seems to be. He just gets catapulted into some other universe and has to deal with it, and Eggman's there. Although I call him Robotnik because I'm old school. It seems like that's, again, maybe my knowledge is just insufficient, but it seemed like they were sort of making that the point of the show. And it's like multiple new worlds and it's sort of catapulting him across multiple worlds where that will have a really strong theme. Like there's like a pirate world and a mecha world and all that stuff. Well, the multiverse is in vogue at the moment, so why not? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. But it looks good. I will probably try and watch it. It's on Netflix, so it might never actually get watched and I'll just hear people say, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> it looks good. I like Sonic. I thought the two movies with Jim Carrey in them were great. Oh my God, the second one came out. I said I tried to stay up to date on what's happening in the film industry. And then some things I'm just like, oh, I knew that movie was coming out. I did not know it had been released. I feel like that just wasn't advertised. It came out the same week as Morbius. Oh, Morbius obviously dominated the box office. And so no one heard about Sonic that week because Morbius came out. The funniest thing was the week that the sequel came out, I remember I had my ticket booked and I was really looking forward to it because I liked the first one. And then I got COVID. Aww. I was waiting to see if I was testing negative so I could go and see the film. Mm -hmm. But I ended up testing negative in time to see both Morbius and Sonic that weekend. So it had a happy ending. Oh, good thing you got to see Morbius in the cinema, as it should be seen. <laughs> in IMAX. Oh well. my God. So it looks even worse. How did the bat laser beam look in IMAX? <laughs> Just as bad as it would have otherwise, probably. I watched it over Zoom on an illegal website with my partner, which I think is actually the true way that Morbius should be viewed. I think it's how most people have yeah. seen it, because <laughs> the amount of people talking about it doesn't track with the box office. That was the only reason we actually watched it, was because, look, everyone's talking about it. As I said before, I love reality TV. I love trash. <laughs> I wanted to see the trash. <laughs> that was some good trash. Some good trash. <laughs> Next trailer we have is John Wick Chapter 4, and it looks like a John Wick movie. More John Wick shenanigans, more Keanu Reeves 
really showing that he isn't a good actor. I think he's great, (laughs) but not a good actor. I don't think anybody's going to argue with me in that. He has zero range as a performer. (laughs) But when you give him prop guns, there's pretty much nobody better. He's having a good time. I'm happy for him. I don't associate the John Wick movies with high drama. It's Keanu Reeves in his mid-50s cutting about shooting people killing people with different weapons and creative ways and then there's always that midpoint of the film where they try and give it some kind of a story (laughs) where he has to do some acting and it's rough (laughs) i watched the matrix films when i was a kid and i saw always be my maybe when it came out and he's in that for like two scenes and he utterly steals the film in those two scenes i think he's fantastic in that but he's also playing a hammed up version of himself when he plays to his strengths, yeah. it's good. Things like Bill and Ted, where he's sort of overacting and he doesn't have to be actually dramatically good. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. I was just thinking, I haven't really watched the John Wick movie, so have I actually seen Keanu Reeves in anything recently other than Always Be My Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Well, I wouldn't recommend the fourth Matrix movie, because it's horrible. Oh, yeah, that came out. Yeah, I heard it was bad. I watched this trailer and I was like, I haven't seen these other movies, but this sure does look like what everyone tells me John Wick is like. I hope the people who watch John Wick have a nice time. <laughs> and it has a melancholy cover of Seasons in the Sun as well in the trailer. So <laughs> peak trailer. That's what trailers do now. They have a melancholy cover of some song that's not usually melancholy. Yeah. But I'll see it. It looks good. It was funny because I went with my, well, he was my flatmate at the time, Isaac, who's also on this podcast, went with him to the cinema to see John Wick 3. We watched the first two a couple of days before just to, I don't know, follow the story such as it is. <laughs> I remember coming out of the third one and Isaac hated it because I think he'd had John Wick's saturation by that point. You should never watch them all in the space of like two days. So I will rewatch the other three, but I might do it like once a week until the fourth one comes out just to remind myself because there is a story it's not especially important but it is there is there a story in the way that there's a story quote unquote in the fast and the furious franchise where it's just this is here to give us an excuse to have all the wild fun action kind of stuff i think there's more to it than that but yeah it's along those lines the world that john wick exists in is quite interesting you've got this under society of assassins in this weird currency thing with gold coins and all this cool stuff. And we'll talk about it later, but they're expanding the universe with spin-offs. So there's definitely stuff to play with there. Okay. But yeah, Keanu Reeves doing his own stunts with guns. It's gonna be <laughs> this fun. is a bit like finding out that Call of Duty apparently has a story to me. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I haven't played Call of Duty in years. I gave up around Modern Warfare 3 when I realised that, oh yeah, I'm going to complete the story in like two hours. Whereas the first Modern Warfare was actually quite substantial in terms of the story it was telling, relatively speaking. But yeah, they only want you to buy those games so you can play them online. And I don't play online because I just end up getting slaughtered by people that do nothing else. (laughs) I just came on for five minutes and all I've done is respawn about eight times until the match ends. That's all that ever happens. So that's why I don't do it. The next trailer we have is Elemental, the next Pixar thing, which is apparently a love story between fire and water and how they manage to interact despite the fact that they're lethal to each other or something like that. The trailer doesn't really give you that. It gives you just a flavour of what to expect from the film, which is what Pixar trailers tend to do anyway. But I really like it. Yeah, it felt a bit like giving you a flavour of the world more than the characters necessarily. It's a cute idea. There'll be another trailer in a couple of months that will give you a bit more of an idea of what the film's actually about. But I feel like with Pixar movies, they don't have to 
really sell themselves to you as such because they'll probably just get parents taking their kids to them anyway. Oh yeah, totally. It seemed kind of cute. And there's that ongoing joke about how all Pixar movies, what if X had feelings? What if toys had feelings? What if cars had feelings? What if emotions had feelings? And now it's what if elements had feelings? When I play TTRPGs, the thing I often gravitate towards is elemental type characters and stuff. I like Janassi and I like Jin and stuff like that. So yeah, I just was like, oh, this is some cute world building for a world where people are literally made of elements. It's kind of sweet. Seeing the way they all interact with each other, like some water spills on an earth person and some flowers start growing out of them and stuff like that. It's cute. A bit like Zootopia, but with elements. Yeah. What if animals had feelings? That's not Pixar. That was yeah, Disney. Yeah, but, yeah. They're the same company. <laughs> last trailer is Avatar The Way of Water, which is the final trailer. All I'll say about this trailer is it's impressive how none of them have actually given an indication of the plot. Yeah. It's just imagery, which is obviously what the film is selling. It's selling the visual experience. That's what the first film was selling, and I think it really pulled it off in that way. If you see it in IMAX and 3D, then you're going to be blown away by it, which I was. I like the first Avatar film. I know a lot of people don't. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Fair enough. I don't like Avatar, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I told you this ahead of time so that you'd be prepared. I remember watching it. I didn't see it in the cinema. I think I watched it at a friend's house sometime after or something. And I was just kind of like, this is the movie everyone was so hyped about. It's Fern Gully, but with blue people. There are some cultural issues, I do think, with the film and the way it utilises indigenous imagery and stuff like that. I do vaguely remember around the time it came out that James Cameron was doing some promo and doing something related to indigenous communities at the time, but I have seen an actual indigenous people talking about how the film perpetuates some very common stereotypes about indigenous cultures and people. I'm willing to listen to them on that. Like, I don't know much about that. From what I know, I look at it and I go like, yeah, I agree. And yeah, watching the trailer for the second one, like you say, it, I don't really know what this film is about. It just looked like a whole lot of spectacle, which is what the film sold itself on. The animation is very impressive. I don't really know what the film is about. And it seemed like they were just sort of leaning into those same indigenous tropes and stuff with the visual design at least. So I was just kind of like, okay, Sure. (laughs) You do you, babe. (laughs) I think if you see the first Avatar as you saw it, whereas it's a friend's house, or I think I spoke to someone that saw it on a plane the first time, just thinking that is not any way that you're supposed to see that Mm. on a really bad LCD back of the seat plane screen. (laughs) Just the worst possible way you could experience that. It's like watching Gravity on your phone. (laughs) Just don't do it. That's a good movie. I agree that in terms of visual effects and CGI and animation and stuff. I do think that there's value in what that movie did for that specifically. I guess they were just like that, but more. (laughs) When you see the, or certainly my experience of seeing it in the cinema is there's just something that comes over you when you watch it. Mm. It gives you this, I hate to use the term the magic of cinema because (laughs) I think it's kind of blanky, but it's a bit like that. It's that, wow, I'm having an experience here. And then fridge logic will kick in later when you start Mm. thinking about the way the story plays out or something. But over its running time, if it manages to not make you think too much about what it's doing, then it's done really well. And I think James Cameron is essentially a master at that. It's not the first time he's had a controversial take on his films. I know that descendants of survivors of the Titanic were really annoyed at him. Oh, really? Because of the way he portrayed some of the people in that film. I didn't know that specifically, but that's interesting to hear because recently there's been a similar conversation around the show Dharma and obviously slightly different situation. But it's a similar thing where something traumatic happened to people as a result of their family members or whatever dying in a traumatic way and 
how an adaptation of that real life story gets made has an effect on those people who are still there who were traumatized by it. Yeah, and Sam Worthington will be glad of the work because what happened to him? Where did he go? Who is Sam Worthington again? <laughs> At the time Avatar came out, it seemed he was being positioned as the next big franchise guy. Oh, was, was he the main guy? Yeah, he was in Terminator at the time, or close to the time. He was in the Clash of the Titans movies, the two of them they made. Oh yeah, those exist. <laughs> I actually don't mind them. The second one I really like. The first one I'm a bit iffy on. I think he was probably in other stuff at the time. And then Jai Courtney sort of took over and he's worse. <laughs> he's in this because he gets to be in this. And Zoe Saldana, I haven't really seen her much in a while. There was a point where she was in everything. She was in everything for a while, wasn't she? She liked to collect a franchise because she was in that... She was in Star Trek, Marvel. Yeah. I guess after you star in Avengers Endgame, and I guess there's another Guardians of the Galaxy movie coming. I don't know if Gamora will be in that, but I have to assume that she will be somehow. She will be, yeah. Just kind of go like, okay, I've got more than enough money now <laughs> for a while. Or I'm in all the franchises and there's no more. People always joke about, oh, Zoe Saldana likes to collect different coloured aliens. She's green, she's <laughs> blue. <laughs> yeah, she's done a lot. So she's back for that. And I think Kate Winslet's in this one as well. Okay. Just James Cameron bringing everybody back, except Linda Hamilton. She's not back, I don't think. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've got my ticket booked already. Hmm. Well, I hope you have a good time watching it. It's three hours and 12 minutes God. long, so that's a shift. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying to be so supportive of the fact that you like this movie and then everything you say, I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> Need to make sure I don't drink a lot before the Yeah. <laughs> to get through it. <laughs> For the last trailer, I'm going to enter this establishment and talk to Kat about Magic Mike's Last Dance so you can amuse yourself for a few minutes until I return. Okay, cool. Have fun. Kat, could I have a minute of your time to discuss this trailer that we need to talk about? Of course. Step into my office. Cool. So we're here to talk about, or I'm here to talk about, into your establishment, the trailer for the new Magic Mike movie, which is called Magic Mike's Last Dance. You are an aficionado with this series, and I am not. So what do you think of this series of movies? There's no trilogy. Yeah, first of all, I don't know what kind of establishment you think I'm running, but it's not that kind of establishment. So hold your horses, cowboy. I don't know anything. I just came in here. I have no idea what's going on. Sure, sure. So yeah, I really like, especially the first Magic Mike movie, it is not what you expect it's going to be. It was directed by Steven Soderbergh, who returns for this one. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. It's actually quite sad. It's about an aging male stripper, played by Channing Tatum, who's realizing that this kind of life is not for him. He doesn't get paid very well. It's not really what he wants to be doing. He actually wants to make furniture and he's considering getting out of the game. But because the pay's not good and he just owes people money, it's all taking longer than he wants to. And this young guy comes in and he's enamored with the lifestyle because he's young and lots of money doesn't matter to him, really, or rather this much is enough. And he gets attention and women think he's attractive. So you have these two very opposing viewpoints on lifestyle that's riddled with drugs and alcoholism and loads of other problems. There's even older strippers in the business. It just shows how this lifestyle is not all the fun that it's cracked up to be. And I love it. I love the way it's shot. I love that it's actually quite a serious film, despite the 
concept or the initial idea for it. And then the second movie comes in, and it is, in fact, what you thought the first movie's gonna be. It is just, we're going on a road trip on this contest for male strippers, on the way, rather, to this contest, and we're gonna refine our acts, and we're gonna figure out what we want to present, and we're gonna win this thing. And some of the characters are back from the original film, so they're the people who were on the team in the first film. And then there's some newbies, and then there's some new characters entirely. There's a club run by Jada Pinkett Smith that's not in their destination city, but it's on the way. And it kind of delivers the thesis of the movie, which is, yes, you are the person performing and the person dancing, but really the person that needs to get the most out of this is your audience. And so it centers the female gaze as a good thing. We give women what they want. So tap into what you think, what part of your performance can bring out what these women want, what they want to see, and make them happy. That's your purpose. Which is kind of unusual. The female gaze is very rarely centered in anything. And then it also allows the male characters to kind of tap into a softer side of themselves. Like one of them, as part of his act, develops a routine, a choreography that's based around a wedding. He's like, actually, I would really like to get married. And I'm going to lean into that and have my act be very romantic. Another guy is like, I just want to make people happy and give them sweet things. And so his act features an ice cream truck. It's actually more pure and dorky than, again, you would think this movie series is about. And that one was not directed by Steven Soderbergh. I think he produced. This was during the time that he was like, I'm retiring from cinema. I'm not going to direct anymore. Goodbye. Yeah, that lasted long. Yeah. He's back now for this, and this trailer kind of looks like more of the second movie than the first movie. Nothing wrong with it. I just would rather it be just a little more grounded. It's set in London, which is where I live, so I feel like I'm gonna <laughs> either find it very amusing or want to bang my head against the wall <laughs> because of things they're doing. The concept is that Mike is with a character played by Salma Hayek and they're involved I think it looks like they might be involved and they're in Florida still where he used to be but he used to be in Tampa but it looks like he's moved to Miami now so boy is moving up in the world to <laughs> Miami oh boy so it looks like she wants to produce a dance show in London and so they go to this fictional I should say theater called the Radigan it does not exist but it looks like a combination of places that I have been in so it could realistically be a theater in London, potentially named after Terence Radigan, who was gay, so I don't know what that says about it. Anyway, <laughs> Terence Radigan was a playwright. He was great. In any case, so it's about both of them are uplifting each other. Mike is both a performer, but really a choreographer. So it's kind of stepping into a more artistic role to do with this. And then Sama Hayek's character is a producer. And it seems in the trailer that there's some roadblocks, some people trying to not have the show happen. And Mike is being really supportive of her and she's being supportive of him. And it's all really sweet, really. And I wonder where that's gonna go. I feel like any conflict is kind of 
manufactured in this. It's all just a vessel for dancing, which is fine. For the listeners who don't know, Channing Tatum has in fact produced a dance show called Magic Mike in London that takes place in the Hippodrome Casino. They have a stage. That's a thing. And it's a thing that's, I think, pretty lucrative. It's great that he's turned a time of his life Because he was, in fact, a male stripper for a time when he was young. He was about 19. And it was, as the first film implies, not a happy time. So it's interesting that he has turned this time of his life into something, first of all, lucrative. And second of all, more artistic than a lot of people would believe about this kind of performance style. I just don't know that we need this movie. The second one was fun, and I did enjoy it, but it did water down the seriousness and melancholy and kind of depressive atmosphere of the first film. And I don't like that it's becoming this, like, wee, come see the Chippendales. That's not the thesis of the first film. The first film is about how it's actually quite difficult and quite demoralizing for the dancers to be in that kind of world. and. I don't know, man. Yes, center the female gaze, all of that. That's great. Fun. It's just what story you're trying to tell. And I'm not sure that it's very clear to me right now. From what you've said about the first film, and from what I remember of the trailer for the first film, it seems that the trailer for it misrepresents what the film is actually about, which could be the case here. That is true. Yeah. And because Soderbergh is back as director, it is possible that there's more meat to the bone of this. That's the hope I'm going to hold out for. Because if I wanted the fun, we were strippers, we're going to go have fun and perform, the second movie exists, and it's great. So I would need a little bit more depth to this one to be happy with it. And maybe the trailer is just hiding all that for whatever reason to try and market it a certain way, yeah. as I imagine the trailer for the first one was doing. Mm. When you said that this trailer gives you an impression that it's a little more like the second one. I wonder if it's Soderbergh coming back to make his version of the second one. Ah, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps. Maybe he wasn't happy with the actual second one, and now he's back to, okay, let's do what I would have done for the second one, almost. Yeah, maybe. Not entirely unlikely. The man is weird. He retired and then unretired a couple of times since that first time. Made a film on an iPhone at some point as well. Yeah, Stephen, you do you. You be happy. You make your artistic vision. It's just, I don't know, you got to put labels on things. Yeah. Although the iPhone film we made is kind of misreported as well because he actually gets professional lenses that he hooks up to his iPhone rather than just filming on an iPhone camera. Yeah. I mean, a lot of filmmakers do that. It's still filmed on an iPhone, so whatever. Yeah. It's mostly the storage medium, but it's still professional lenses. Fair. So I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you my Channing Tatum story. Have I told you my Channing Tatum story? Probably, but maybe the listeners haven't heard it. I might have told you. So for the listeners, for those at home, I met Channing Tatum once. I used to work at a cinema in the outer rims of London, near-ish, where they film a lot of movies at Pinewood Studios. So at some point, I'm on shift. Gosh, I don't remember what movie was playing. It might have been a Star Trek one. I don't quite remember. In any case, he walks in with a whole entourage. I think his wife was there, maybe his brother, a whole posse. And people didn't recognize him or they didn't say anything, my colleagues. I locked eyes with him and I squinted and I was like, dude? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, yeah. (laughs) And so 
I went over and I was nerding out over all the Soderbergh films he's been in. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Soderbergh is, in fact, one of my favorite directors, even if he is kind of problematic, actually. If you look at his track record dealing with mental illness and using that for edgy, dark things in movies. It's like, dude, people actually suffer with this stuff. But in any case, I quite like his movies. And Channing Tatum has been in three of them or maybe four. Magic Mike, Haywire. He was in Side Effects, one of the two problematic movies he's made about mental illness. And so, you know, I was like, oh, man, Magic Mike was such a good film. He was like, oh, yeah, sure. such a good film and I was like no 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 don't worry about it at the time I was with a woman so you know I was like oh I'm queer I'm gay don't worry about it it's not about that it's actually a good movie and then he was like ah thanks man what's your name he shook my hand and a colleague of mine made him nachos and off he went to watch his movie I tried to ask what brings you here because our little cinema was in the middle of nowhere. It's not in any way central London, somewhere you would expect to see someone Hollywood famous. Although, that being said, we have had other Hollywood famous people show up. I wasn't in, but Benedict Cumberbatch came in when they're filming stuff at Pinewood. So my very uneducated guess is he was probably filming Jupiter Ascending. So that kind of gives you a time frame. Shame you never got a photo with him. That would be a missed opportunity. Eh, it's okay. I don't really like doing that. Maybe it is a missed opportunity, but I have my Channing Tatum story and I got to nerd out about Soderbergh. And honestly, that's the highlight. So there you go. He thought I was in it for the abs. (laughs) I was not in it for the abs. I kind of never am. So that's what I'm hoping for. I am hoping for something a little different, something a little more substantial than just we're putting on a show and someone's trying to shut us down because we have no money or they're trying to take away our money. The cynic in me is like, is the Magic Mike attraction in London not making enough money and you need to make a new movie to push it, advertise it or something? I don't know. Plot-wise, it seems like your standard Muppets plot. They're going to shut down the theatre and we need to put on one last show to convince people not to. I think it also will kind of play into the fact that he's been trying to retire for some time and people keep dragging him back. Oh no, just perform for a little bit. Oh, you don't have money? Come do the show. It's going to be fine. (laughs) The fact that it's called The Last Dance. All right, guys, I really need to retire now. I'm done with this. Or maybe he discovers a new side where he becomes a choreographer, believes in a more artistic side of himself. Because even the furniture that he makes in the first film, it's kind of experimental and it looks like an art installation. It's made from discarded car parts, whatever he can find, really. And he makes coffee tables and things. It's kind of cool. And that never takes off, really. I think it's mentioned in the second film as not having worked out. And it's a bummer. So, yeah, maybe he finds something fulfilling to do seems like a logical progression as a character arc as well to start off as a performer and then turn that skill into the other side of it, which gives you the longevity because a career like that will have a shelf life. There'll be a point where you age out of it. So it seems like the natural thing is to just go into the actual production side of it. I think Mickey Rourke's character in the first film would disagree about there being an age limit, (laughs) but I hear your point. It's just my perception based on the fact that I know nothing about this film series. It's really not half bad, I will say. Not half bad at all. I guess for most people, at least they might have an eye on the fact that I can't do this forever. It's like being an athlete in sports and whatever. It's just the, yeah, I can't do this forever. There'll be a point where I just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And a lot of athletes end up being coaches and things in the same vein. So it's not 
outside the realm of possibility and it would make for an interesting character arc. I just want them to treat this not as a funny haha blockbuster. In the same spirit, I think I might have said this before on this podcast, but I think of the Magic Mike movies in the same vein that I think of the Pitch Perfect movies. Because the first Pitch Perfect movie is not what you think it's going to be. It's actually got a little bit more to it. And then the second one is what you think the first one's going to be. <laughs> and in fact, the third one more so than that. So I don't know. I am, of course, going to watch it, but I don't know that this trailer has told us very much what it's really going to be about. I'm sure Angus said the same thing about the 21 Jump Street movies also mm, with Channing yes. Tatum, funnily enough. Uh-huh. As in the first film was not what you expect, and then the second film is what you thought the first film was going to be. Yeah, exactly. I like both those as well. I haven't seen them. I've seen Channing Tatum in a lot of things, though. I tend to find the films where he plays more goofy characters, which I think he's pretty good at. Oh, yeah. yeah Stuff yeah. like The Lost City recently. Oh, yeah, I need to see that. He's a really dumb and goofy character in that film, but yeah. he's really good at it. He's in Bullet Train very briefly. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how much of the cast is shared between Bullet Train and The Lost City, but in different configurations. Oh, Channing right. Tatum yeah, has course. a really small role. Sandra Bullock also has a small role where Brad Pitt is the lead. And then in The Lost City, you've got Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock being the leads and Brad Pitt's not in it very much. So I wonder if there's some kind of connection there that I don't know about. Yeah, a studio connection, perhaps. Yeah. Channing Tatum has a lot of comedic timing. He's a very funny guy, very funny actor. He plays with it to his advantage, but it's films like the first Magic Mike, which I think was his first Soderbergh movie, that showed us that actually, dude can act. He's not bad. In a dramatic capacity, he can really pull it off. He's great in that. He's really good in side effects, despite the movie being actually not great if you think about it too hard. And then Haywire. I mean, Haywire is an interesting look in a meta sort of way, because they worked with wrestlers and things for an action movie. So the idea that those skills to transfer them through, but it's about black ops type people. It's fine. He's pretty good in it, but it's a bit of a nothing movie at the end of the day. But it is a fun watch in any case. He's in the first G.I. Joe movie. Oh, yeah, Essentially right. the lead in that. I love that movie, actually. I think it's a lot of fun. He's also briefly in the second one, which is an interesting one, because I guess they decided while the film was in production to kill him off, and then Channing Tatum became really huge as a star, and it was almost, oh, God, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Whoops. Because <laughs> he's only in, I don't know, the first 20 minutes or something like that, and then he... It's killed off, and, and that's the end of it. Or they couldn't afford his fee in the time that he became a star, and that would mean they'd have to pay him a lot more. Well, I think that there was a lot of delays with the film as well. Uh, could have been a scheduling thing, too. They shot his stuff when he wasn't huge, or at least as I understand it, so they kill him off, and then he becomes huge, and they're sitting there thinking, oh, God, we've got this film that has Channing Tatum yes. in it for five minutes. <laughs> Great. But it was one of the Rock's relatively early starring vehicles as well. Well, he's been doing films for ages, but it was one of the ones where people took him a bit more seriously as an action star, because he'd been doing guff like the Tooth Fairy before that. Oh, yeah, of course. Peak cinema, that. But yeah, Channing Tatum seems to turn up in a lot of small roles in films, which is quite an interesting to see stuff like free guy he's in it but hardly in it and it's a bit of a surprise right. so he's an interesting actor certainly i've seen him in a lot of stuff but i don't think i've seen him 
in a leading role in a lot of stuff. Do you mean you haven't seen Jupiter Ascending? <laughs> oh no, I've seen Jupiter Ascending, but I just would like to forget that. I will defend that movie <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I digress. This is a Magic Mike segment. Yeah, Jupiter Ascending is a weird film. <laughs> Plays like a dog alien person or something. I think he's meant to be like a werewolfy type alien. Yes. He does a lot of skating in the air with his weird... Weird shoes? Yeah, <laughs> let him skate on the air. Strange movie, that is. But yeah, anything final about Magic Mike's Last Dance before I let you get back to your work and I'll go through the lobby with my eyes shut? I really don't know what you're picturing there. <laughs> don't. I am going to see this. I'm always interested in how transgressive we can be with something that comes in with a lot of expectations. And sometimes it ends up being exactly what you think it will. And sometimes people will surprise you. So I'm hoping for a nice, pleasant surprise. I might watch the other two before February and then decide whether I want to see this one. Might be a bit weird going to the cinema by myself to watch a Magic Mike movie. Ah, whatever. Do you know how many single guys came to see the last Twilight movie when that came out? I'm guessing a lot. I can tell you a lot. I used to work in the big cinema chain at the time. It was always the early morning screenings and the matinees full of guys by themselves. <laughs> and it was like, do you know what? You go. You go watch that movie. <laughs> Whatever. Enjoy it. Were they there to laugh at it or just there to watch it? I wasn't there to watch them watch it, so I don't know. When I went to see the Twilight movies, I went when there was a marathon, and I did go to laugh at it, and so did a lot of the people who were there, which made the marathon quite fun. I couldn't really tell you. My guess is they were embarrassed that they wanted to see it in the first place, and so they just <laughs> went to the screening that would guarantee that they wouldn't be seen by <laughs> friends and family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've still only seen the first Twilight movie, and I have no plans to change that. That's okay. At this point, you're not missing much. No, I know what I'm missing. <laughs> and you're okay with that, yes. <laughs> That's fine by me. But yeah, thank you for your time and thank you for your insight into this film series. I'm sure the listeners will deeply appreciate the summary you gave of these films. Certainly hope so. Bye. And I'm back. Did anything exciting happen while I was gone? really i've just been looking through our list for later <laughs> well good productive use of yeah. time okay let's move on to some news we always start with the pillars of neil before pod which is marvel dc star wars the cw there's nothing for the cw this okay. month though they're pretty much dead i think no star trek no star trek no. this month no we did all the trailers recently and there's been nothing since Fair. i think they'll ramp up before picard season three comes out which will be early next year mm -hmm. but no star trek this month but a little bit of star wars which we'll get to but let's start with marvel mm -hmm. we have some casting for wonder man which is an upcoming disney plus show and it's yaya abdul mateen the second to lead the show he's going to be playing simon williams a.k.a. Wonder Man, and Destin Daniel Cretton is developing the show. He directed Shang-Chi. Cool. Oh, and the writer worked on Community in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it says in this article. Cool. In the comics, Simon Williams is the son of a wealthy industrialist whose company is run out of business due to competition from Stark Industries. In desperation, Simon turns to Baron Zemo, who gives Simon superpowers and directs him to infiltrate and then betray the Avengers. Eventually, he joins the Avengers and is even a founding member of the spin-off team, the West Coast Avengers. It seems unlikely that that's what it's going to be about. Ben Kingsley's going to be back in it as Trevor Slattery. <laughs> yeah. It seems that they're going to lean on the he's an actor thing yeah. for this adaptation. 
So it's going to be some kind of MCU Hollywood satire of some sort. That could be fun, actually. I'll say I don't know much about Wonder Man as a character. I just sort of know that he exists vaguely. He's not one of the characters I know a lot about. But the actor they've cast is an actor I really like whenever I see him in anything. He was in a show called The Get Down, which should have been way more successful than it was because it was so good and it got unjustly cancelled by Netflix. And ever since I saw him in that, I was just like, this dude is really, really good and I hope he gets to do some big sh** at some point. It seems like he is because it says here he was in Aquaman and The Watchmen as well. And he was in The Matrix. Ah. Forget about that. (laughs) He was Morpheus in the new Matrix film. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer now. Sometimes I feel like if I don't know much about a character, if I see an actor whose work I know I like cast as them, that's enough to make me go like, oh, I'm probably going to watch this just to see what this actor does with this role. There's a lot I think they'll discard for this adaptation because in the comics, Wonder Man's personality was the basis for the vision. Ah, okay. Well, obviously they already have vision, so they're not doing that. Or maybe his personality would be the basis for white vision. I don't know. We'll see. If it's a Hollywood satire, then Trevor Slattery being in it makes sense. Yeah. But I'm already, I'm kind of sick of that character. It is Always a bit happy. much, isn't it? Okay, you did a cute bait and switch with the whole Orientalism thing, but can we chill out on that a little bit, please? <laughs> and then he was in Shang-Chi because he upset the guy that's really the Mandarin. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff. And now he'll be back for this, so great. Mm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we'll see what else to do with it. But certainly a Hollywood satire it could be interesting. Yeah. Fame plus superhero. When it's done well, I do enjoy sort of tongue-in-cheek poking fun at superhero celebrity type stories. Like the Booster Gold stuff in Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that. So maybe it could be something along those lines. That could be fun. Now DC are kicking themselves because they can't introduce Booster Gold because they're doing Wonder Man at Marvel. No, we'll just make a nine millionth Batman film instead of any new characters. We'll get to DC though, don't worry about that. But we're still on Marvel. Blade has a director now. Yay! Again. After the last one left, Lovecraft Country's Jan Demange is set to take over directing and Emmy-nominated writer Michael Starbury as the new screenwriter. Mahershala Ali is still in the lead role. Good, good, good. So maybe he'll be a bit happier with the direction of the film now. be interesting to see. Apparently the last version of the film was crap. It was 19 pages long in terms of the script with only two lackluster action sequences. Ooh. Okay, I didn't know the specifics of why that change was made. I know that sometimes... Stuff like that happens in the film industry, so there's not always necessarily a reason as drastic as that, but oof. I'm glad that if that's the case that they decided to rework it because Mahershala Ali as Blade is just such excellent casting. It would be a shame for it to be wasted on a lackluster movie. It was reported that the last guy left because of scheduling issues. Which sounds a bit like a cover-up of what really happened, but it was another story of they just hired this indie director that made a couple of critically acclaimed indie films, Bassam Tariq. He made a couple of Muslim dramas that went over really well with audiences that watched them. Small audiences, obviously, because they'd be indie festival stuff. And then they hired him for this. And it'd be no surprise if he just got on to this project and thought, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I've never done any of this before. Yeah, that's the thing. Obviously... The scale of making a film for Marvel and Disney is completely different in and of itself. But then also people have talked about how directing a film for Marvel or Disney is different from other aspects of the industry and that it's not for everyone. Certain directors haven't gotten along well with it and that's fair enough. It does sound like there are a lot of demands made on people and that obviously they have a plan that they want 
certain films to touch onto in certain ways and so you don't have full creative control and some people don't like that but in order for there to be this ongoing story they kind of need that so it's not for everyone yeah it was the director that was i forget their name but in talks to do black widow initially she was told if you take on this film don't worry about the action sequences and her response was why would i do this film if i don't want to do the action sequences so i think that's where that conversation ended yeah apparently They design a lot of the action sequences ahead of time. They storyboard them out before there's even a director involved. And I can imagine when you are a director, of course, that must be jarring because you're like, well, what am I directing then? I'm not getting to actually direct my movie. So I can understand why some directors would just not get along well with it completely. It's not an uncommon thing in blockbusters. You hear about action sequences for Bond films and things Mm. being storyboarded long before they actually hire anybody to even write the film. It's just, we've secured... The rights to film in this location so we're doing an action sequence here that's it yeah and also i guess to give those poor cgi artists a head start because we've all read the articles about that over the last few months and then change it last minute of yeah, course yeah, yeah. so it doesn't matter how much of a head start of they course, get of course because they're ununionized and so they can be exploited the next thing is a bit more casting william jackson harper has been cast in ant-man and the wasp quantumania nice. the rumor mill says is he going to be reed richards I think there's a 0% chance of that because they're not going to introduce Reed Richards in Ant-Man and the Wasp. (laughs) He was cast well into filming, so he'll be some minor-ish role that'll have a prominent fixture at some small part of the film, probably. I can understand not thinking that they're going to introduce Reed Richards in another film, but that kind of last-minute casting while still filming could imply that he's playing a role that's going to be a cameo in this movie and then has a bigger role in some other movie later on. Yeah, I just don't think that's how they'll do Reed Richards. I think there'll be some bigger event that announces the cast of Fantastic Four. It's like in WandaVision where they assumed that Monica's friend was going to be Reed Richards. Then it was just someone. Oh yeah, people got themselves in such a twist over that show, didn't they? (laughs) (laughs) I was just watching it and enjoying it. You're like, oh, this is fun. It's creative. They're getting to have a lot of fun with different sets and costumes and concepts and themes. And then on the internet, people are just like, it's Mephisto! Mephisto is in WandaVision! He's the bee on the wall! And I'm just like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) And then people get disappointed because their theories don't come true. Yeah, yeah, it was so weird. I was like, I feel like you have set yourself up for disappointment here rather than them actually having done anything wrong. Yeah, the show never suggested it was going to do this, so that's just your problem, not theirs. Yeah, I'm not going to stand here and jump in front of a bullet for a massive corporation like Disney, but I do feel like people brought that disappointment upon themselves in that situation very much. Definitely, yeah. But yeah, William Jackson Harper is a fun actor. I really like The Good Place. I'm excited to see him in this. The more I think about it, the more I'd love to see him as Reed Richards as well. I think he'd be great. That's the thing. That's one of the actors people have sort of fan cast as Reed Richards a lot. And they did bring in, I'm completely forgetting his name, the guy who was in The Office. John Krasinski. Yeah, yeah. They did bring him in to Doctor Strange too. So it feels like it could line up for him to be Reed Richards, but I also see what you're saying about they'll probably make more of a fanfare of it. Although I will say for me personally, I've never really been hugely into the Fantastic Four. So personally, I don't really understand why everyone is so hyped about the Fantastic Four. There are so many other characters I would rather see. Is this based on comic knowledge of them or just previous film knowledge of them? Just, they were never really superhero group that I found super appealing. I watched the movies when I was a kid and they were kind of odd 
I don't really remember much about them now. I like the two Chris Evans ones. Oh yeah, that was the other one, wasn't there? Oh my god. The Miles Teller one. Yeah, that's awful. Don't watch that. I think for me, when I was little, there were various superhero teams that you could watch and... The one where there's only one woman and she's super gendered all the time in the cartoon just didn't appeal to me for obvious reasons. And then I would get much more into stuff like X-Men and Justice League Unlimited and stuff like that. But I guess they are like A-list Marvel characters. I think in my head they're not that, but it's just a personal thing. I didn't really get super into them. Yeah, the Sue thing has always been problematic. I think a lot of that is of the time storytelling and it's probably gotten a lot better in comics. I hope so. Since then. (laughs) Because they started off with her being essentially the most useless member of the team. Yeah. And eventually it flips the other way where she's not only the most powerful on the team, one of the most powerful in the universe. Yeah, I mean, you think about what her powers are and she should be. It's a common thing you see. You see it with Jean Grey and the Wasp and even Wanda as well, where you look at these characters and what they are supposed to be able to do. And you go, these characters should be so much cooler than they actually are. (laughs) (laughs) And you can tell that the reason they're not is just because they're women. It's really silly. The whole Jean straining to lift a cup with her telekinesis and going, Ah, Scott, I can't do it. Spare me. I can't stand it. (laughs) Yeah, it was the same with Wanda originally. Well, she started off as a villain in X-Men in the 60s. And then she joined the Avengers when the big characters left. It was Captain America leading a team that was her, Quicksilver, Hawkeye, Black Widow. Other people rotated in and out. But at that point, she could essentially just trip people up. Yeah. More or less. It was some weird probability-based power that she had. (sighs) And now she can just create her own universe or something. She can do whatever she wants. So much cooler. I saw a lot of issues with how she's being portrayed in in the movies. But at least they have finally acknowledged how powerful she actually is. Well, she was never not powerful in the movies. Yeah, they just had that whole thing of because she's a woman, we can't show her being too powerful. And when she is powerful, there has to be this volatile, emotional thing behind it. It's a very gendered thing that you see with female characters with superpowers. And they did play into that in WandaVision, but I felt like it was more nuanced in WandaVision than other times it's been showed. And then in Doctor Strange 2, they were just like, fuck all of that. Let's just do whatever the hell we want. I didn't like Doctor Strange 2. William Jackson Harper is in an undisclosed role and he'll be in this Ant-Man film, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. I especially can't wait to see Catherine Newton in the role of Cassie Lang. I really like Catherine Newton in everything I've seen her in. Oh, I can't remember what I've seen her in. She's been in a lot of smallish stuff. Well, she was in Supernatural for a kickoff, which uh-huh. you haven't seen, but she was in Blockers with John Cena. She was in some Time Loop movie that was on Amazon. Can't remember what it was called. She was in Detective Pikachu. <laughs> She was, yeah. That's one I've seen. I feel like they've played jump rope with who is playing Scott's daughter so much, obviously because she was a child in the first movie. She's the third Cassie Lang. Okay, I was going to say, she's not the other one, because they did have a teenage one in Endgame. Yeah, you had the child in the first two Ant-Man movies, then whoever it was in Endgame, and now Catherine Newton. Oh, that girl must be kicking herself, the one who was in Endgame. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. But I can see why they've done it with Catherine Newton, because she's sort of an up-and-comer and it'd be good to saddle her into Young Avengers or whatever they yeah. decide to make later on with all these younger characters. I'm low-key gunning for William Jackson Harper to turn out to be Reed Richards. I think that would be good casting. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> if you look at Chidi, it's not far removed, is it, really? Yeah, exactly. We've seen him play that sort of character before. I'm down for it. We've got another couple of bits of casting for Agatha Coven of Chaos, which is a spin-off that no one asked for, really, but we're getting it. <laughs> Joe Locke, who was in Heartstopper, which I haven't seen, but everyone talks about being amazing. 
I haven't seen it either. They haven't said who's going to play. And the other one is Aubrey Plaza, who is also in an undisclosed role. Queen Aubrey Plaza. But she's said to be playing a villain, but I thought Agatha was the villain. Good for her. Aubrey Plaza is one of those actors where it's like, yeah, you usually just play the same character, but I'm totally here for it. I just want you to play April over and over again. I don't know if you've ever seen Legion. I didn't finish it, but I did see a few episodes and I really liked her in that, actually. Yeah, she was really off the wall and bizarre in that show. That show was just off the wall and bizarre anyway. Yeah. I can't remember why I didn't finish it. I think maybe it didn't really release in the UK at the time or something and it was annoying to find places to watch it or something like that. But I remember quite enjoying it and especially liking her. She was a villain in that, wasn't she? Yes, but also a friend. It was weird. The show was just weird. Yeah. (laughs) The people that found WandaVision hard to follow try and watch Legion. You'll just be lost. Yeah. There's a lot of podcast episodes way back of me, Aaron and Chris in different configurations doing episodic breakdowns trying to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. It was good though. It was good to just keep trying to make sense of it together because otherwise it would have been very difficult to follow. But yeah, it was good. Cool. And she's good. So that's two people that are in that. They are both well-known and well-regarded. So Marvel get other good people to be in stuff. Yeah. Usually they're pretty on it with casting, I will say. Even when the movies don't turn out the best usually the casting choices are pretty good at least yeah so we're moving away from the mcu now into more marvel adjacent stuff venom 3 has a director kelly marcel is directing this one so andy Serkis not up for doing this one not surprised after the last one weird that you did that in the first place but kelly marcel's doing it she is known for writing the screenplay for saving mr banks which is a film i really liked a sweet yeah, little film that's quite sweet and She wrote the script for the first Fifty Shades film, which I've not seen. But this is her directorial debut. That's concerning, isn't it? Giving a film like this to someone as their first go. Yeah. Is there really nobody else in Hollywood that wants to do it? Is that what it is? I mean, I saw the first Venom movie. It was not a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) I know that a weird little fandom formed around it, but I'm sorry. It's not a good movie. I think they're okay. The two of them are okay. The second one focuses more on the... Eddie Brock Venom relationship and makes it a bit more rom com which is the best stuff that was in the first one. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting that they picked the person who did the script for the first Fifty Shades of Grey. I haven't watched them, but I've watched some very good extensive YouTube video essays about the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise by Folding Ideas. They are very interesting. And he talked about how the first movie, they actually tried to improve upon the book in a lot of ways. And that the people who wrote and directed it made some changes to the film that made the main character a little bit more active in the story and tried to streamline the story a little bit more. Apparently the woman who wrote the original books really didn't like that because they were messing with her baby. So that's why the other two movies are actually quite different from it. So if this woman is the one who wrote that Fifty Shades movie and you have the whole Eddie Brock Venom relationship dynamic it's this sort of warlock and their patron dynamic i can kind of see the connecting points between those two things in a weird way well i don't think she's writing it tom hardy has a writing credit on it even if she's directing it obviously those are two different jobs but i can see getting someone who worked on that franchise to work on this franchise i can kind of see the connecting point in my head is what i'm saying no i see what you're saying i think the Venom films are strange because they aren't great but they make money so they keep making them until they don't make money mm. I always laugh at the Tom Hardy cameo in Spider-Man No Way Home so weird. yeah it's been long enough we can spoil it no problem but it's this bit where it seems like oh cool Tom Hardy's Venom's going to live in this universe now and then he gets sent back they leave a piece of the symbiote 
behind. So it's almost like Sony and Marvel are fighting with each other over acknowledging these films. And it's, you can have our character. And it's like, no, we don't want him. You can have him back. You take him. <laughs> we'll keep the goo. We'll, we'll keep the symbiote. We want that. But we don't want It is your a venom. weird situation they've ended up in. Didn't they also say that they were going to do like a Sony Marvel villain team-up movie with Morbius and Venom and stuff it was that just a rumor i think that's still the plan yeah they started heading down that route in morbius when you had michael keaton turn up in the post credit scene right yeah yeah and i was just like really we've all seen that first suicide squad movie and we know why it doesn't work and it doesn't work because you've laid no groundwork <laughs> for these characters and also it's folding ideas also has an excellent video about that movie but yeah this whole thing of we're just gonna do a team-up movie without laying the groundwork that made the avengers actually good you keep seeing it prop up with justice league and suicide squad and stuff like that i'm kind of like oh really morbius is gonna kickstart your villain team-up stuff really <laughs> but the film failed so we'll rethink that's what sony do they say they're gonna do something then it fails and then they have to completely rework it from the ground up yeah <laughs> So we'll see. Next up, we have another Sony Marvel thing. They are planning to make a bunch of Marvel TV shows at Amazon, starting with Silk Spider Society. It's going to be created by The Walking Dead showrunner Angela Kang. It will focus on the Korean-American superhero Cindy Moon, who in the comics develops superpowers after she's bitten by the same radioactive spider that bit Peter Parker. Kang developed a series with Amy Pascal and Spider-Verse producers Phil Lord and Chris Miller. And it'll follow Cindy as she escapes imprisonment and searches for a missing family on her way to becoming the superhero known as Silk. Cool. It'll be interested to see what they do with this because obviously, or maybe not obviously, but I don't think they'll connect her origin to Spider-Man because there is no Spider-Man in this universe. Is it going to be animated or live action? Live action, it seems. Okay. I like seeing Silk get some spotlight, some cool diversity in there as well because she's an asian character we don't know much about it yet but i'm interested to see how that ends up and if it's got the people who worked on spider-verse and i liked some of the walking dead i stopped watching the walking dead after season three. Oh, i wow. got three episodes or something at season four and dropped it because i just wasn't keen for it at all at that point fair enough i lasted a lot longer but i dropped off i can't even remember what season it was now i watched a lot of it with my mum for a while when i was still living at home it was our thing we'd watch together in the evenings for a while so i can never remember what episode is in what season because we just watched it i remember through the season with negan we hated it we were hating it by that point but i was just like i need to see <laughs> this man die i hate him so much and not in that way of oh he's the villain but just he was so hyped up and I was so frustrated because I was just like, this is not a good villain. Why does everybody like this character so much? I hate him. I hate him. I just want to watch him die. And then in the last <laughs> episode of that season, Rick slits his throat and then turns to a guy who's a doctor and is like, save his life. And the guy goes and starts patching him up. And I was like, no, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with this show. <laughs> Can't handle this anymore. <laughs> I never got as far as Negan. I like Jeffrey Dean Morgan, though. And I wonder if that's why a lot of people like him, because he's... Really charismatic. It's quite charismatic, yeah. We don't have time to go into all the reasons I didn't like Negan as a villain because then that will become the podcast, but I didn't like him at all. <laughs> at the point I stopped watching, I was really hating Rick. I was thinking, you shouldn't be in charge of anything. You're awful. Oh, yeah. I also didn't really like Rick as a character very much, but I felt like that was part of the point was that at times he lost it and wasn't a good leader to them. Yeah. I struggle with shows where I don't like most of the characters because there was very few people to like in The Walking Dead at the point that I gave up on yeah. it. I talked earlier about shows that can't hide their formula and their formula is they find a safe haven, it seems okay for a while, 
and then it gets torn apart by some external force. Yeah, yeah. I actually remember my mum saying, this is basically a soap opera, you know? This is a soap <laughs> opera with zombies. And I was like, oh my God, you're absolutely right. There is a formula to this show. There were characters I liked, definitely, and that kept me watching. Carol was one I really loved, and oh, I'm forgetting her name, the cool lady with the dreadlocks. She might not have even been in the show at the time you stopped watching it. Yeah, I'm not sure who you're talking about. I liked Glenn and I liked Maggie. Maggie became better once they left the farm. And Daryl... I always like Daryl. But yeah, in season one, there's a lot of characters to hate as well. But I feel like that's sort of the point, the tension of the group of trying to survive when people are acting like dicks and how you manage that. That can be interesting sometimes. Well, you're just watching people go slowly insane over the period of however many years the show was on. Yeah. But Silk, anyway, Spider Society, yeah. will see another <laughs> potentially failed problematic Sony thing. Maybe, maybe not. It is weird to see Marvel stuff being released on Amazon Prime. That'll be odd. Yeah, Marvel adjacent stuff. It just always annoys me whenever they start a project with these things. Sony have the rights to all the Spider-Man characters. Mm. So any character that's connected to Spider-Man in any way, which apparently includes people like Silver Sable. Oh! And it's just, this precludes them from being in the MCU, and I'd rather they were in the MCU. Yeah. The thing is, though, I would love to see Silk in the next Spider-Verse movie. Obviously, that's a different thing. Which she still might. Yeah, yeah, she might still be in it. But that's a character who could work really well in that movie. Yeah, I've read some comics that she was in. I was reading Spider-Man at the time she was introduced, around about the original Sin arc that was running at the time. And she seems pretty cool. She wants to work at the Daily Bugle, I think. Doesn't everyone? Has a strange frenemy relationship with Felicia Hardy. Oh yeah, Felicia Hardy. God. wonder if I'll ever get Felicia in any of these things. Yeah, I was just thinking that too. That's a character who could show up in the Spider-Verse. Or in the MCU. We talked about on the No Way Home podcast how having her turn up to challenge his connection to his normal life would be a really interesting thing to do in the next Tom Holland movie. Yeah, whatever they do with that. Yeah, but we'll see. Speaking of Spider-Verse, we have some casting. Daniel Kaluuya will be voicing Spider-Punk. Nice. Hobie Brown as Spider-Punk. From a quick Google, it seems like that character Hobie Brown is usually depicted as black and Daniel Kaluuya has been cast. He is always black, yeah, but he's usually the prowler. Okay. Well, certainly that's how he starts. Okay. That's cool, Daniel Kaluuya in that film. I'm really yeah. excited about Spider-Verse. Yeah, I love that first movie. I think it's one of the best animated movies. One of my favourite movies, full stop, but such a creative showcase of what animation can do and what the superhero genre can do as well. I am very excited for this sequel and love Daniel Kaluuya. Great actor. An exclusive interview with Empire revealed that the film will have six animation styles meshing together somehow. That's cool. That's interesting. If in this one, from what's implied by the name, it's Miles actually journeying through different universes, then I guess it's different animation styles for different settings, which is, again, yep, that's cool. That's a thing that only animation can do. I love that. There was two or three styles at play in the first film, wasn't there? Yeah. But you'll never really got to see the complete style change in the scenes where they were quickly going over the origin of yeah. Gwen or whoever. But the other characters, they would be animated differently, mm. even in the body of the film they were in. So Gwen was still that watercolour style. Yeah, and then you have like Spider-Ham in the old school 2D animation kind of thing, and Spider-Noir and stuff. Clearly they had so much creativity and so much fun having all those characters be animated in different ways. And so I guess it feels like a natural progression, but also a really exciting prospect for a sequel where you actually get to go and spend time in worlds like that and have Miles be the outlier. Yeah, it'd be fun. There's going to be two of them, so there's plenty of time to just play around with what they need to play around with. Mm. 
So I'm not worried about how busy it's starting to look because it's spread over two films. Oh man. I hope it's good. I want it to be good so badly. I hope so too. Okay, let's hop over the fence and talk about DC. And this will be a fun one. This is a mess. It's a glorious mess of stuff. Oh God. Isn't it always? That's all I know about DC's movies at the moment. Yeah, it's just one mess after another. But they're starting to tidy up. It seems they have given the keys to the kingdom to James Gunn and producer Peter Safran. And James Gunn is the name that people will know. Peter Safran, not so much. But the point is that James Gunn will be doing the creative stuff and Peter Safran will be doing the production side of things. So James Gunn will be like, here's what I want to happen and the other guy will make it happen. Sure. Or find a way to legally make it happen, that kind of stuff. They've been looking for their Kevin Feige for quite a while now and this is them finally doing it. But the problem is that the DC Universe is such a mess. Mm. I've always said, I'll do it. If no one else wants the job, I'll do it. I'll figure something out. But where do you start? Because they started off by suggesting that we copy Marvel with the Zack Snyder stuff. Mm. As in, copy them, but... But badly. Accelerate to the (laughs) point where Marvel are at. So we'll do a one Superman movie, then we'll do Batman v Superman, and then Justice League, and then we'll do the solo movies later. That's what I mean by the lack of setup for payoff. You don't just get to have your payoff. You have to set it up. (laughs) Yeah, and then Batman v Superman comes out. Well, it's before it comes out as well. People are complaining about the level of property damage in Superman and well, Man of Steel and all that stuff. So what they start doing is they start changing things mid-flight. Mm. Then by the time you get to Justice League, Zack Snyder steps down because of a horrible tragedy in his yeah. family. And Joss Whedon takes over and makes a film that's just awful. But he's only stitching together based on what the studio want and based on what's already been filmed, based on what he has time to film. Yeah. So it's no surprise that it's not very good. And then eventually you get the Snyder cut. Yeah, yeah. What Snyder did, I'm sure it was better. It wasn't that much better. It still wasn't a good movie. I prefer the Snyder cut, but there's also things that Joss Whedon does in his version that I prefer over what happens in the Snyder cut. For example, he tries to make Superman a character, which is something that Zack Snyder doesn't seem to be that interested in. I have a real bee in my bonnet about the way Superman gets portrayed in things these days. It's a weird thing. I feel like I've kind of come back to appreciating Superman as a character in general because... All four of my grandparents were immigrants, right? And Superman is a character who was created by two Jewish immigrants in the 1930s? Was it 30s? During the Great Depression, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that essence of the character, what that means for the character, has become so lost over time. And people talk about, oh, how can you make Superman relevant in a modern movie? He's literally called the immigrant from the stars. How do you think you make him relevant in a modern movie? But of course, they'd be too afraid to ever make Superman a person of colour, for example, or to explore that immigrant story in any meaningful way. And I think it's sad because I feel like if that was the focus of the way Superman was portrayed in these movies, that would be so powerful but instead we get emo grumpy superman gonna smash everything and (laughs) randomly kill people and jesus allegories they sort of do that in batman v superman as in you're an alien and we don't trust you Mm. because of how powerful you are as well but the sort of racism undercurrents there but yeah it comes across less strongly if he's white yeah but it's also not just that it's the fact that his status as a sort of immigrant informs who he is as a person And the whole thing about the way in which he wants to do good and the way he treats others being informed by that part of his experience is completely lost because they've just decided to make him not a good person. It's weird. Anyway, watching Young Justice again made me appreciate what they did with the character in that. When it comes to Superman, it seems that some storytellers are frightened of the prospect of just making him good. Yeah. Making him just innately good because they think that that equals boring. 
Yeah, yeah, they want to do the grimdark twist on it. But I feel like at this point, the good version is actually the radical version. Yeah, it definitely is. And then you've got people that complain about, oh, he's too powerful, nothing can challenge him. No, you find other ways to challenge yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Or you do what they've been doing and you just introduce Doomsday or something like that. Someone that can tackle him in a physical confrontation. But again, that's not as interesting as, say, Lex Luthor outmaneuvering him in different ways. The reason Lex Luthor is his main villain is because Lex Luthor represents everything he is against but can't fight with just brute strength. Yeah, and that's interesting. But yeah, the influx of evil Superman stories that have been happening over the past few years. Even Superman and Lois, which is, I think, a great interpretation of the character. Mm. They do an evil Superman thing in both seasons. Uh, I heard the show was good. Overall, is it a good show? Yeah, overall, it's a good show. It's just they have those missteps where it's, you know, we've got another. It's usually alternate versions of yeah. him, but still it's, there he is, he's evil. And <laughs> boring. And the thing is, you've already got this template of how this can work with Captain America. Mm-hmm. They made that work over so many films. Yeah. Without wavering on his morality. Yeah. Just make a good Superman thing. I really genuinely feel like if they made a Superman movie... Maybe have him played by like a Mexican actor or a West Asian actor or something and really lean into the theme of him being an immigrant from a place that was desolated informs who he is as a person and how he wants to do good on Earth and lean into that as the theme. I feel like that is the way to make a successful Superman movie and it would be so poignant to see. This is probably not happening anymore, but there was the pre-work done on the Tanahasi Coates Superman thing that Michael B. Jordan was producing. Oh. But I think that's probably been shelved along with everything else. But Henry Cavill's back, (laughs) which I think is a good thing. I like him in that role. And I would like to see him actually get the chance to play that character properly. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Happy for him. I see that we have that news item from another direction later on, so I will hold off. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But these two running the show seems on the surface to be a good idea. But the question is, what are they going to do? Are they going to do a connected universe? In which case, does that mean that everything that's coming out over the next year, we can just ignore? Mm. Shazam, not important because it's not part of whatever they're going to do next? Or are they going to go down the whole, we're just going to make individual films and then connect some of them? Or are they going to try to form connections between, like salvage what's already happened? Yeah, but that won't work for me because I don't think Robert Pattinson's Batman would believably interact with Superman or Shazam or anybody else. Yeah. Because I think that film is so singular in tone that if you start introducing flying aliens, it won't work. It just wouldn't make any sense. Sure. That's the thing. They clearly see what Marvel have done. I've said this for years about DC movies. What seemed to happen was that they saw how successful Marvel was at building up to that first Avengers movie and how groundbreaking that was and how successful that was. And they went, oh, we want to do that too. But they rushed to get there. They didn't lay the groundwork. That Justice League movie is just full of characters we've never met before and don't care about. (laughs) And even the ones we have met, there's just not a lot of groundwork there for their reasoning to be in a team together. They rushed into it. And it's a mess. And for me personally, I don't really like the overly gritty, grim, everything is sepia and muddy and brown tone of a lot of those DC movies. So it just doesn't appeal to me personally, which is fine. Everything has to appeal to me personally. But I do think that when you're making a Superman movie (laughs) or a movie with Superman in it, that Superman is there to represent joy and hope. And so to have him just in his muddy brown costume... It feels off. They could just course change entirely and go like, okay, we're going to make DC movies that aren't necessarily all connected, but they can have their own individual tone that is suited to that character in that world. So like that Batman movie, that is a standalone movie that has its own tone 
and its own thing going on and then you can make a standalone Superman movie that has its own tone and its own thing going on they don't have to clash with one another tonally or in a movie where they're fighting for some reason and that would allow them to explore more characters and they could do more grounded down-to-earth stuff and have like a Green Arrow and Black Canary movie or something like that and then still get like, the big Superman stuff and the big Batman stuff but we could have some new characters <laughs> getting the spotlight. Yeah and they have all these things that they need to figure out what they're going to do with. Are they going to play with the Elseworlds thing or not as in the Batman will that continue on its own continuity until they decide to stop doing it? The Joker movies for example oh, as well. Yeah. You can put that Joker in those Batman movies because there is already a Joker in that film. Yeah, it's so weird. The whole Suicide Squad and Joker thing was just so bizarre to me because I'm like, this fundamentally has to work on the idea of people knowing who these characters are in opposition to and you haven't introduced the characters who they're in opposition to. It's so weird to me. That's why that Suicide Squad movie doesn't work. Or there's other reasons why that Suicide Squad movie doesn't work. The second one does. I've heard the second one is a lot better, yeah. Oh, it's way better. But yeah, yeah. that first one, it's that same thing again of no setup. They want to do their villain team-up movie but they haven't introduced those villains in movies with other superheroes. They haven't put in the groundwork. That's why you spend an hour introducing characters. Yeah, my God. And then what you had was the DC films struggling along to try and do something. And then you look at the Arrowverse on TV mm. and they're just nailing it. They just worked their way up to having their own Justice League on yeah. TV. And it was completely earned and it worked really well. It's a huge mess. So it'll be interesting to see what James Gunn decides to do with it. And then you've got the other side of it where you've got The Rock that seems to think that Black Adam is the start of something amazing. Oh, babe. And now that hasn't made any money. <laughs> so that's not happening now. Because there was chat about Dwayne Johnson and James Gunn were arguing over the direction of the universe. So I was wondering, are we going to get The Rock DC Universe and then the James Gunn DC Universe? Look, The Rock is fun in a lot of movies, but I don't know about that. <laughs> Black Adam was not good. I haven't seen it, but yeah, that's what I've heard. It's not good. The funniest thing is the CEO of... Warner Brothers is talking about a focus on franchises and the great quote here from this article is he says we haven't had a Superman movie in 13 years we haven't had a Harry Potter movie in 15 years two statements that are completely untrue right yeah <laughs> Man of Steel was what 2013 so that was less than 10 years but ago. also Superman has been in other movies they just weren't solo Superman movies and there have been Harry Potter movies they're just not Harry Potter Harry Potter movies. Well, even the last Harry Potter movie was less than 15 years Oh, ago. was it? Okay. Time means nothing to me. It just seems like we're back on this train of nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, they just want to have the cake before baking it. Yeah, and the CEO, David Zaslav, wants to focus on these franchises that he doesn't even know when the last one was released. Yeah, that is pretty worrying. But I suppose that's why you have James Gunn. Yeah, at least James Gunn seems like... He can inject some fun into these movies. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy is a really fun movie. Guardians was the first Marvel movie to star characters that no one had heard of, basically. It was considered a risk by some. Yeah, yeah, it was considered a huge risk. Obviously, people had heard of the characters, but they were very obscure comic characters that the general movie-going audience wouldn't have heard of. Even Iron Man, when that first Iron Man movie came out, he wasn't an A-list Marvel character, but more people had heard of him than had heard of Guardians of the Galaxy. I think people forget it was considered such a huge risk and how big it was when it came out, how much of a success that was. A large part of that is up to the way James Gunn directed that movie. So I feel like if anyone can do it, I feel like he's got a good shot, but he's been left with a big old mess to clean up. Yeah, he knows the territory really well. Mm. And I think he'll be able to come up with some direction, but I think there's a decision to be made on 
what you do with the stuff you have already because we've got sequels to Aquaman, sequels to Shazam and so on coming out over the next couple of years. Yeah. And I would hate to see this version of Shazam abandoned completely because I loved the first one. Yeah, that was one of the DC movies I thought was actually fun. And same with Aquaman. I like that version of Aquaman. So again, I don't want to see that bend off. The thing is, you can have a selection of movies that don't take place in the same universe as other movies and they could do a Justice League franchise that is its own contained thing with different cast to the other stuff. Bring back Justice League Unlimited. (laughs) (laughs) There's also with the Henry Cavill Superman, there's already delays in using the character, which is hilarious because it was just such a big announcement at the time. We're back at this again. We're back at, what are you up to, DC? There's also the whole HBO Max snafu. Didn't a bunch of DC-related stuff get axed in that. So there's obviously the Batgirl movie that was the headline of that. The Batgirl movie was basically all but finished and then just got axed at the last minute. Yeah, for tax reasons. Yeah, yeah. And then didn't Young Justice get cancelled again? There's no decision on Young Justice yet. All right. So it's in limbo, as it always is. Oh, that poor show. It's such a good show and it doesn't deserve... I swear it's been cancelled like 80 times. It doesn't deserve it. A lot of properties and movies and stuff were affected by that. But I feel like there was a lot of DC stuff as well as those two that might have gotten caught up in that. So there's that to contend with as well. Yeah, well, Batgirl was very publicly binned off and then there was a Scooby-Doo movie that was completely finished, fully animated, that they're just not releasing for the same reasons. And then they haven't explicitly announced it, but I can imagine that a lot of the other projects that were announced by DC over the last few months, some of which I was really excited about, stuff like the Tanahasi coach Superman thing Mm. that might have focused on Val Zod, but we don't know. It's probably just not happening anymore. And there was a few other bits and pieces that were just starting pre-production with some names attached and they're not happening anymore. I know most of the CW stuff has been completely cancelled. Legends oh, of Tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Uh, oof. I know that some of those shows just sort of came to their natural end. I think Supergirl, they were just going to finish that show. Yeah, they did a final season, so that got a conclusion. But Legends of Tomorrow it was cancelled on a cliffhanger. Batwoman uh. was the same. Uh, okay. Superman and Lois probably hasn't got much more than one season left. That's a shame. They're going to do that Gotham Knights show, which looks horrible anyway, <laughs> so that's probably not going to see season two. But the CW has been sold off as well, so they're changing a lot of how they do things, so I don't think a lot of those shows will survive anyway. Yeah, that's true. I really feel like it's a shame about the Batgirl movie, because I would have loved to watch that movie, because I know that the two guys who directed it are the directors of the first and last episodes of Miss Marvel, which I thought were the best episodes of Miss Marvel. And I would have loved to see what they did with Batgirl of Burnside, because when you think about the tone of Miss Marvel as a character... And then you think about what those directors brought to that character. The other character that so naturally fits that for me is Batgirl of Burnside. So I feel like it's just perfect and such a shame. I feel bad for them, actually, more than anything. And that was going to be one of the Michael Keaton appearances as well. Yeah. And then there's things like, as I've said, there's not going to be four Batmans from now on. So I wonder which one they're getting rid of. Michael Keaton, probably. The Flash movie will still come out because they spent so much money on it. Oh my God, just let it die. But... That's the one that's going to be completely irrelevant because I think the whole purpose of that movie was to reboot the universe and start again. But Ezra Miller won't be involved after this, probably. But it's a big shame because it looked like their version of Supergirl was going to be really cool. Oh, is Supergirl going to be in that? Yeah. Oh, man. I forget the name of the actress playing her, but yeah, she was going to be in it. The whole Ezra Miller thing as well, you have to cut the tie. Come on, this person is doing some awful stuff. I feel like it's just kind of shameful that they're still trying to push for that movie to get 
released when you consider the fact that they just axed the Batgirl movie starring a woman of colour directed by two men of colour for a tax write-off and yet this white person is just doing this awful, awful stuff and they're still going like, but we've got to release their movie. It's not a good look. It's really not a good look. And the last thing that's happening at DC is something that seemed to be going ahead quite well was this Green Lantern series on HBO Max. Mm. They've retooled it. The showrunner stepped down. I don't think they've appointed a new one yet. And they got rid of Finn Wittrock and Jeremy Irvine, who signed on to play Guy Gardner and Alan Scott, respectively. I think that Alan Scott was going to be a gay character as well, Uh as he is currently in the comics. So it's being retooled to just follow Jon Stewart. I mean, I love me some Jon Stewart. Who's a great version, yeah. The show was going to be called Green Lantern Corps. Yeah. And it was going to focus on the three characters and then you had the wider Green Lantern Corps as well. Mm. So it sounds like it's just going to be some weird Earthbound thing with a small budget. Oh. With some constructs. Well, that's what I'm reading into this. They haven't exactly said, but they're going back to the drawing board. But instead of what they were planning before was this big galaxy hopping, Mm. you'll see all the weird and wonderful shapes and sizes of Green Lanterns. Now it's just going to be Jon Stewart. It suggests to me that it's just going to be on Earth. They could be starting off with the first season being more low-key and being on Earth to keep it a smaller budget at first and then maybe if it's successful they'll go to the wider universe hopping stuff. Yeah, I was just kind of excited about the big scale everything. This is really the first I've heard of it and I immediately go, oh, a Green Lantern series where we get to go to different planets and see different members of the Green Lantern Corps. There's so much scope there for interesting stuff. Yeah, that's a shame. But I do like Jon Stewart as a character. I grew up on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, so Jon Stewart is my Green Lantern and... I feel like having a show revolving around him would be really cool. Love me some Kyle Rayner too. Can we get some Kyle Rayner in there too? (laughs) It seemed like the show as it used to be was going that way, but now it's not. Mm. That's a shame. At least it's not Hal Jordan again. I don't think he was even in the original iteration of the show. It probably won't get made, so Ah, maybe not even worry about it. Oh man. (laughs) Well, that's DC, so have I successfully summed up the mess that DC is? God, yeah. I knew that so much messy stuff was going on, but I hadn't read in detail into what was actually happening currently. That's a big old mess. (laughs) It's a glorious mess, yeah. (laughs) Let's hop over to Star Wars. So we talked earlier about the possibility of some derivative fan service-y things, but this one seems more interesting. It's The Acolyte. They've announced a lot of the cast for it. I think it's supposed to be the start of the Rule of Two for the Sith and things like that. Yeah, it's a mystery thriller that will take viewers into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. Sure. A former Padawan reunites with her Jedi Master to investigate a series of crimes, but the forces they confront are more sinister than they ever anticipated. So it sounds like it'll be someone descending into evil, which is classic Star Wars, really. But you've got Amanda Stenberg in the lead role, and she is great in what I've seen her in. Manny Jacinto's in it to talk about the good place. Yeah, oh my god, and Lee Jung Jae, Daphne Keen. This is a pretty stellar cast. Carrie Ann Moss down there too. This one stands the least chance of just pointing at you and saying, hey, remember that guy? Yeah, definitely. Looking at it just from the perspective of who is in this cast, I'm like, damn, that's a good cast. I don't know if I can see Manny Jacinto outside of Jason, though. I think that's burned in my brain. I know! You have to think, though, that... When actors play characters like that, I'm often going, I really want to see you play a serious, dramatic role, just to see the contrast. (laughs) Because often when people have to play characters like that who are just so over the top, you often have to be a good dramatic actor to pull that off in a way that doesn't just come across as slapstick. And there was depth to that character as well. So yeah, I'm intrigued to see him in something else. (laughs) But he never got over that sort of brainless quality that he has. 
Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. I know people have seen him in other roles. I haven't. I've only seen him in that that I can think of. I think I might have seen him in the small role in something, but I can't think what it was. Yeah, this is Amanda Stenberg, Jodie Turner-Smith. Oh yeah, seems like a cool cast. I'm sure this will be a Star Wars show I'll start watching and then not finish. Well, you never know. It might be captivating. Maybe. I'm hoping more like Andor in terms of what it's going for and we're just going to tell a story and a good story yeah the premise seems like it could be fun it's from the showrunner of russian doll which is a show that i started watching and didn't like but lots of people like it i watched the first season i know a second season came out i haven't watched it yet but i liked it i like shows that get all weird like that (laughs) i'm intrigued i still need to watch andor i've been told it's very very good maybe i'll watch andor and then maybe i'll check this out there's plenty to choose from, that's for sure. There's so much Star Wars. More Star Wars than there's ever Too been. Too much Star Wars, one could say. <laughs> Says the fan of Star Trek. Yeah, I'm team why not both. I don't discriminate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The whole Star Wars versus Star Trek thing is ultimately very, very silly and I don't buy into it. I just mean because Star Trek has so many shows at the moment and I actually watch most of those, but then I'm always going, there's too many Star Wars shows, I'm not going to watch them. I don't have time to watch all these Star Wars shows because I'm watching all the Star Trek shows. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) That's the issue. Oh, sounds like the TARDIS is coming, so if you want to amuse yourself for a few minutes while I discuss with Isaac about the Doctor Who thing once he lands. Of course. Oh, here's the TARDIS again. That means Isaac's here for more Doctor Who news. Making a habit of this, just dropping in. I know. Well, that's because Doctor Who's popular at the moment. The TARDIS doesn't give you a choice. It just drops you off every now and again. Now you have to do this. Yeah, it's just throwing me back. It's constant. It knows where and when you're needed. Exactly. It's not long since we talked about Doctor Who. We recently did our chat about the yeah. power of the Doctor, that episode that recently released at the time of recording. Yeah, that's how you just got up couple of weeks ago so give that a listen to if you haven't already and we cover some of what we're going to talk about here but it's, it's kind of the earlier stages of what we're talking about here so we recently got a companion announcement which is the first thing we'll talk about she is going to be played by millie gibson who was apparently in coronation street so a bit like jenna coleman coming from emmerdale yeah coming from soaps seems to be pretty standard i think tosin cole and mandate gill were in hollyoaks or one of them in the old days i think it came in from soaps as well, so it's where they all come from. What was it, Adam, in the first season? He was from one of the soaps. Was it Adam? Oh yeah, Adam, the sort of one-off guy. He was in it for two episodes, and then the Doctor hated him and left him behind with a hole in his head. Exactly. Oh, they never came up again. <laughs> it's just been left. I'm sure he's not invited to the companion support group. No. So yeah, we have Millie Gibson, who will be playing Ruby Sunday. Yes. You could easily get those names round the other way and you would think the actor could be Ruby Sunday and the companion named Millie Gibson but it's this way around it's a bit of a weird dumb name isn't it Ruby Sunday I mean they're all a bit and there was like Amy Pond and Donna Noble and Ruby Sunday just kind of fits in usually with these things the surname isn't really that important they're all like Yaz and Tegan and Rose and Clara and then the surnames are just sort of whatever unless it's one of those companions where the doctor constantly says their full name you know like Rose Tyler oh occasionally I come along Pond or River Song but she seems excited it was announced on a British charity thing called Children in Need she came out and she was gushing about it she is 19 years old no 18 years old yes which means and i looked this up she turned one when christopher eccleson regenerated into david tennant so anybody who really wants to feel old just 
process that for a minute. Let that sink in. We have a little bit of information about the character, not much. We know that she is contemporary, essentially standard. No surprise here. Present day Earth. Yeah, present day Earth. I think she's a student. I had what she was studying, but I lost it. It's micro something. Okay. But yeah, it's a student who gets caught up with shooting at was 15th Doctor and goes on some adventures. Pretty standard. It's given me Rose vibes, as in it's a really young woman. We've had a lot of present day ones. I understand why they use that so they can frequently go back to contemporary London or Sheffield or wherever. But I do quite like when they mix it up a bit. It'd be fun if down the line they're joined by a I don't know, a Victorian or Tudor or someone from the past. It's always a bit more fun because you get a different set of what is the norm and what is crazy, what's new and stuff. What's highly likely there'll be a extra companion that will appear in the middle of the season. That's usually what happens, isn't it? Usually, yeah. No, I don't think in terms of the modern Doctor Who, we've had a couple of us on Captain Jack, etc., from our future, but I don't think we've had any other than some of the various Claras that have been from the past. It'd be quite fun to bring someone from the 1800s in to be like, oh, a phone or ooh, a thingy. But that's just me hoping, really. You've had the one-shot companions that weren't quite human, like Kylie, for example. She was an alien that looked exactly like a human. Yeah, but this is more a thing of the 60s and 70s and 80s where you have people come in and then they see them evolve and modernise as they travel. They may start out as Vikings or chimney sweeps or something, but (laughs) you guys spend time with them and they travel with the Doctor and they see different things and they kind of become more contemporary. That's always quite a fun dynamic, but I suppose we'll see. Yeah, I was hoping the Victorian governess version of Clara would have been the base one. I vaguely remember that one. The Christmas special one, Snowman. With Ian McKellen voicing the Supreme Intelligence. He was. And then they got Richard E. Grant. And they got Richard E. Grant to do it. As a side thingy, do you remember Scream of the Shulker, the Richard E. Grant animated? No. <laughs> In 2003, there was an online story with the Ninth Doctor, Richard E. Grant, and it's called Scream of the Shulker. And I think it had Derek Jacobi as well as the Master. Okay. And I think it'd be fun when they introduced the John Hurt Doctor. But you had Richard E. Grant right there. What you could have done is had that online mini-sode animated one as the fill-in-the-gaps one. But I suppose when you can get John Hurt, then get John Hurt, I guess. There's quite a few non-canon Ninth Doctors, isn't there? Because you've got the Curse of Fatal Death that had Rowan Atkinson. There's a few Ninth Doctors going around. I'm sure in comics and books as well, there's millions. Technically, John Hurt is the Ninth Doctor. Yeah, that's like four or five. Something like that. That's plenty. I'm interested that Russell T. Davies essentially went back to how he started in the show with a young woman companion. You say she's a student, so chances are she'll be more innately intelligent than Rose was. Because Rose was about useless, to be honest. She didn't know how to do anything. Yeah, when they brought it back in 2005, I think they were the most ordinary person meeting the most extraordinary person. And now that we're more aware of the show and we're not having to be as amazed and wowed by the TARDIS being bigger anymore, then they can have a little bit more. During the rest of this, I'll look up what it is that she's studying, just in case that's a thing we can gleam. I remember lots of quotes from Russell T. Davies where he seemed really proud of the fact that he'd created Rose as a character who worked in a shop. But she works in a shop and now she's travelling the universe. How great is that? I don't know, it's a little bit condescending that you keep bringing it up, to be honest. But yeah, she was proper working class, wasn't she? Yeah, because they were doing more about the family and her mum and was it the Powell Estate? The Powell Estate, yeah. But yeah, whenever they announce a new company, you're like, okay, cool, we'll see him in the episodes. <laughs> Did I dream this? thing where I read it <laughs> I can't find again. Even the picture of her, it's just her normal clothes, so it's not her in character. She's just standing next to Shooty Gatwa and he's in normal clothes as well. Unless that is actually just his costume. He just wears that. Super casual. I think they did a mini interview on YouTube. Yeah, I'll put that interview in the show notes. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. Shooty Gatwa, he is 30. That's his actual age. Obviously, the, the doctor is... Who holds the doctor now? 
depends if you count Peter Capaldi being stuck in a box for billions of years. Somewhere between some number of thousands and some billion. <laughs> yeah. They're still keeping the look secret and stuff, but we know the initial dynamic for the series going ahead. Yep, and there was an explanation that Russell T Davies gave for the clothing regeneration, which is hilarious. He said that he thought it would be in poor taste for David Tennant to regenerate into Jodie Whittaker's clothes because of the whole cross-dressing thing and how that might offend some people. And I was just thinking how ridiculous that answer is because they had the master do it in the same episode. It's all a bit weird. This might be a case of, I know it is explained in a Doctor Who magazine issue. I think a lot of people are just sort of take on one bit because some people are taking this to not offend anybody some were saying they didn't want to give right-wing newspapers stuff to aim at the show for all we know it might just be a really simple explanation that's got a bit wild but it is weird it certainly caused a bit of backlash the right-wing newspapers are already attacking the show for it being super woke anyway so it doesn't really make any difference They've been doing that since the show's been on. Yeah, and Russell T. Davies himself wrote a story where John Sim was wearing a dress as the master, so I don't really get where he's coming from. It's oddly out of character for Russell T. Davies, which makes me think that it could be keeping secret some story reason, which they hid in like, the worst way possible by hiding it behind some sort of weird story. Or it could have been a simple logistics thing, or maybe David Tennant was like, no, I'm not wearing this. <laughs> But it's not as if Jodie Whittaker's costume was especially feminine. It's not as if she was wearing a skirt or something like that. And they were going to ask David Tennant to wear a skirt or a dress or something like that. Yeah, no, it's relatively neutral. Neutral. It's just a coat and a jumper and braces and stuff. And presumably women's underwear, which the doctor might just wear anyway. Who knows? Who knows? A little earring thing. Sasha Dewan had it on. He still looked threatening even though he had this funny little <laughs> earring. <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't actually noticed the earring until he was wearing it. Someone has done a motion comic on YouTube of that comic strip you were talking about that was in Doctor Who magazine. Yes, I started watching it. I mean, they have to fill a year. Basically what happens is the Doctor ends up back in 1966 at the World Cup when it was held in England and the Daleks invade. This is unfortunately time to the current unpopular World Cup. <laughs> so that's two current odd slip-ups. Yep. So have you found what Ruby is studying or is that something that you dreamed? I'm sure I read it. It was one of those things that was on Twitter. So I was sort of following the announcements while at work and I think it may have just been speculation. All right. Okay. That's fine. But if anyone does know out there then leave a comment she's playing the companion she's called ruby sunday they either have or haven't said anything about her but millie gibson herself is very excited yeah so there we go and we covered the clothing not controversy our last bit of doctor who news is something we talked about in our power of the doctor episode anyway but the big disney involvement in the next run of stuff yes disney plus will be the new streaming place for the new episodes of Doctor Who once they are aired outside of the UK. This is probably fine. (laughs) I'm assuming this will mean that things can be simulcast as well, because I know that one of the things that I think people were upset by with The Power of the Doctor is it aired five hours later than it had in the US, which meant that all the spoilers were ready to go. So imagine if it's on Disney+, Plus, they don't have to align with broadcast schedules so you go on Twitter before it airs and you just see pictures of David Tennant everywhere? Yeah, just everywhere. And it's trending as well, you can't block it. 4K screen grabs. Even if you're trying to avoid it, you'll see David Tennant is trending. He's in it then. Or like Paul McGann's trending. You're like, okay, great. I didn't know to block this, so now I know. I mean, you could just not go on Twitter until you've seen it. I think that's the case, I just don't. It used to be simulcast back in its heyday, wasn't it? When it was at its most popular. 
think certain ones were. I think like Day of the Doctor was. But I think for your standard midweek episode, most of the time you just had to wait. Yeah, until BBC America aired it, whenever it was. I can't remember if this was rumour or it was confirmed, but there is going to be a bit of Disney money put into it as well. No, that's confirmed. The budgets are going to be insane. It's going to be like 10 million an episode or something like that. Yes, it's gone up from 2 to 3 million, as it was in flux, up to around 10 million. So should look good. That doesn't necessarily follow because you're just giving more work to overworked CGI artists. Could be. So the TARDIS will just be an unrendered box. I would quite like if they just built a really extravagant big TARDIS set. Just use like an episode's worth of money and just build a multi-floored one, a big cathedral. Capaldi's one was the biggest or used the space most. I know in the TV movie, they spent a quarter of the budget on Paul McGann's TARDIS. They rewrote loads of the script so that it'd take place inside because they were like, we spent all of our money on this giant interior. And then they lost it. No one knows how it was boxed up to be transferred somewhere and no one knows where it went. <laughs> but yeah, I think the Pierre Capaldi one was pretty big, but I'm not sure which exactly was the biggest. It had the bookshelves and things, didn't it? And yeah. He had his little reading chair. Yeah. Yeah, the TARDIS set could be interesting. I wasn't huge on Jodie Whittaker's TARDIS. I think it looked a bit run down. It was very similar to the David Tennant one, but just kind of orange instead of corally. I think the last really good one was the first Matt Smith one. I didn't like the metal one. And this one was sort of okay. I think Capaldi's one was my favourite. It was a bit better than the cold one. Too Star Trekky for my taste. Maybe that's why I liked it. Not organic enough. If you're listening to me, the Bad Bull Studios, just spend all your money on this <laughs> absolutely nonsense interior. We don't have to the CGI very good. If you can make it up for three million, keep the rest for ludicrous things. Or we just go back to the simple First Doctor TARDIS, the white room with the round things on the walls. Yeah, but the Doctor gets to wear a new Armani suit every episode. <laughs> It's all custom made. He just gets changed between scenes. This is my afternoon suit, but I don't know when the afternoon is, so I'll just wear it whenever I like. Here's my sonic private jet. <laughs> the budget increase certainly is encouraging in a way because it shows that there's at least some faith in it. Being a contender is one of the big wigs in sci-fi and in television. The fact that Disney want it suggests that as well. Yeah. I know that some people are disappointed in the fact that it's left its pre-established homes or will be leaving its pre-established homes places like bbc america and hbo max yeah but as someone living in the uk i don't care where it's distributed <laughs> it doesn't change how i get to see it okay cool if everyone can see it across the world easy on a platform that's not a specific american or canadian broadcasting company then yeah sure great well it's neater to make a deal with disney isn't it because they can just do the international distribution immediately exactly rather than having 10 different deals with 10 different distributors across the world so it makes business sense i suppose but like you said i don't really care i'll still watch it the way i normally watch it which will be on bbc iplayer yeah there's no real change for us except we can also watch on disney plus should we choose will it be carried in the uk on disney plus they haven't really said i'd guess that it'll probably be the same as it is currently on iplayer where new series will be available on Disney Plus in the same way that it's currently on iPlayer. You'll be able to get like series 1 to 13, probably. Then the new episode will go up after it's aired or something like that. Yeah, I'll probably be able to stream on iPlayer or Disney Plus. Is there anything else news-wise? I think that was about it. We have a new old logo. It says 60th anniversary now. Yeah, and now it's a diamond for the diamond anniversary. And then over in the world of Big Finish, they have another big multi-Doctor epic planned, which is... Mostly special because it'll be the first time Chris Trackelson will get to work amongst other Doctor actors. Except he won't because he'll record his stuff at different times. 
separately, but we'll get his doctor interacting with other doctors, hopefully. He'll say a line and one of the others will say a line back. And exactly. Th- they were recorded days apart or whatever. But for us, in audio world, it'd be fun if you've ever wanted to see the Ninth Doctor interact with other doctors. But for now, I think that's, that's all we have for the moment. I suppose it is a year away. The multi-doctor big finish story, that's a bunch of individual episodes with each of the doctors involved and then it culminates in a big ass team up at the end is that right yes same as they did pretty much every single time they've had for the big finish's own special and the 50th they do a story that goes on several different incarnations that eventually they avengers endgame and team up to sort it there was a lot of funny business going on with some outlets online with that news multi-doctor story planned for 60th anniversary Oh yeah, it's the clickbait thing. Yeah. Where it's like, Christopher Eccleston is back, Asterix. Christopher Eccleston is back. You open the article in audio form. If there's any Doctor Who news on We Got This Covered or Screen Rants or any of those, assume it's Big Finish. (laughs) Oh no, it wasn't just them. It was some more reputable, I would say, news outlets were reporting the headline as if it was, you're going to see all these Doctors interact. Just in general, basically anything you see about Doctor Who that's on a small clickbait site, it's Big Finish, because Big Finish are doing everything. Well, I get the Doctor Who press releases anyway, so I wouldn't fall for it. I would see it before it gets released anyway, with the exception of the companion reveal, because I guess they were just letting everybody find out if you were watching Children in Need. Yeah. Or if you weren't, you found out two minutes after they said it on Children in Need, because of the way that information works. Some exciting stuff. High-budget Doctor Who, which will be even more disappointing when the CGI looks like crap. We'll see. It's been pretty good recently. Yeah, I think the show in the Chibnall era looked great. A lot of the visual effects stuff was great. There's only so good you can make a Dalek look, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, that's the good thing about having been designed on old 60s models. I mean, if you're making swarms of new monsters, you have to put more effort in. But I suppose if you're making a Dalek or a Cyberman, just copy and paste, it's fine. <laughs> You've got these guys logged in somewhere. Yeah, they're in storage rooms and wherever. Cool, if there's nothing else, I'll let you hop back in your TARDIS to go to the future and find out more news and then come back and tell me at some later point. Yeah, and that's what will be happening for the rest of the year. (laughs) I'll just drop in and be like, yep. More stuff's happening. We have a trailer, whatever. Bowtie spotted on set. What does this mean? Oh, there was that thing where Matt Smith was at, I think it was London Film and Comic Con. Oh yeah, he said he isn't involved. Yes, which means that he probably is. Sure, Andrew Garfield. (laughs) Well, apparently Colin Baker was at the event. Well, not apparently, he was at the event. But he apparently said during his panel that actors just lie. Yeah, it's also lie. It's on NDAs. How do we keep Matt Smith hidden is an interesting one, though. I would imagine they would have to just film in the TARDIS or something like that with him. I mean, they did it with the past doctors in this special. He just filmed in a sound studio. Yeah, that was different. If he's going to meaningfully interact with David Tennant or whoever, they'd have to get him involved in in more stuff. Whereas those doctors, like you say, it was just they were pasting them in at a later point. There's a picture of all of them and Jodie Whittaker together. They did film a studio, and I'm assuming it's for anyone, really. You film David Tennant outdoors, and then you just take Matt Smith in a studio for it. Bad Wolf, and could be on any planet and just doing a thing. Wasn't that picture of all the doctors photoshopped though no i don't think so i think they were all just hanging out as far as i'm aware the promotional one they released that was definitely photoshopped because they were all as you remember them oh no this is one jordan baker peter davison swiss mccoy etc with kevin masks on and green screen behind him and just having to sit without having like a coffee break or something all ah, right okay <laughs> just one of those behind the scenes sort of ones where they're all just feel like in a set 
Matt Smith needs a haircut if he's going to come back for the 60th because he's got his Game of Thrones hair. He's got his Game of Thrones hair. He can have Game of Thrones hair for a story. <laughs> He'll be playing the 16th Doctor. Exactly. Shooting at where it gets announced as the 17th Doctor or the 18th Doctor by the time they get to the end of it. They just go through everybody again. David Tennant will regenerate into Peter Capaldi and then Peter Capaldi will regenerate into Matt Smith. He'll regenerate into David Tennant again. Yeah, that'd be interesting. But cool. That is everything then, I think. Everything. So, yeah, thank you for, well, I should thank the TARDIS for bringing you rather than you because I don't think it was your choice. I will let you get back to Issa for the rest of this month's news and rumours and trailers and such. I'll tell her you said hello, even though you've never spoken. This could be the first. (laughs) Hello, Issa. There you go. It's official. And he's gone. He says hello. He's been here to deliver some Doctor Who news and he'll drop in at some other point in the future again to talk more Doctor Who news. That's the way it works. Cool. Okay, let's move on to more miscellaneous stuff. We've done all our headings, but now kind of back to something we've talked about before. Henry Cavill is exiting The Witcher in its fourth season and he's going to be replaced with Liam Hemsworth, which just made me laugh. Poor Liam Hemsworth. He's constantly been... Pigeonholed as the lesser Hemsworth, doesn't he? Yeah, his entire career just seems to be playing second fiddle to someone. I mean, I'm not going to say I feel bad for him. He's probably very rich, so whatever. Yeah, Hunger Games money won't have been (laughs) small. I remember reading this news story on Twitter and I literally thought it was a parody. Because (laughs) I was just like, way to kill your show. I don't like The Witcher. I think it's a very bad show. I've never seen it. The first season of The Witcher might be one of the worst seasons of television I've ever watched. And people talk about loving it and I genuinely don't understand. It is really messily written. They try to do this thing of it being set in different time periods, but they never make it clear what time period you're in. So it's just confusing unless you have someone there to go like, okay, we're at this point right now. They don't even throw dates up on the screen. You just have to guess based on what the characters are saying, what time period we're in. It's really weird. It's also frankly, deeply sexist and ableist and racist. But I will say that I know people love Henry Cavill as Geralt. And at the very least, I can see that he seemed to really love playing that role. The Superman money must be good, basically. The Witcher might not survive this as a show, because it feels like he was the linchpin holding a lot of that together, because the writing is not good. And there's lots of behind-the-scenes stuff that I started to see crop up, stuff I wasn't aware of. Apparently, Henry Cavill was constantly at odds with the writers or producers or whoever about what he wanted to do with the show because he wanted it to be more faithful to the books because he loves the books, and they didn't. There's stuff about internal monologue and things that apparently Geralt does in the books that doesn't appear in the show. I don't know if that's the reason that he ultimately left. I think it must be the Superman thing and... They're going to need a lot of his time in the coming months or years to do that. Yeah. I mean, it could be a combination of things. It could be that he wasn't happy with the way the show was going and then he got offered the Superman gig and was like, well, it seems like they're going to let me play Superman the way I'd always wanted to. And this Witcher thing seems to be going down the bog. So jump ship. Poor Liam Hemsworth. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I'm like, he's super rich, whatever. But it can't be easy when you have to replace an actor in a role that they are really iconically known for. That is such a hard challenge to do in terms of performance and in terms of public reception. The friends of mine who like The Witcher, they are 
very distraught about this change in casting. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like the show anyway, so I'm just kind of hoping everyone finally realises it was bad anyway. I won't see it, so it makes no difference to me, but I just found it amusing reading that Liam Hemsworth was up for Thor at the same time his brother was. Oh yeah! The Christmas dinner at the Hemsworth household must be really awkward. <laughs> so Chris, what have you been up to? Yeah, well, I was just filming Thor. Okay. With my best friend Taika Waititi. <laughs> Yeah. What were you doing? Oh, yeah, I was uh, filming Independence Day 2. That's great. Everybody loves that. Poor guy. He does seem to be second fiddle all the time. Mm. I don't think he's bad. I've seen him in stuff, and I think he's pretty good, but he is always going to be that not Chris Hemsworth Hemsworth. The lesser Hemsworth. Then there's another one as well. There's Luke Hemsworth, who's on Westworld. Oh, or yeah. Was on Westworld. I always forget that there are three. I'm now just remembering that I used to, you know, at conventions, sometimes people have those stickers that say my name is or I am, and then you can write your name in them. I used to very often write the lost Hemsworth brother on my... <laughs> <laughs> there's a mysterious fourth Hemsworth brother out there somewhere. Don't know what he's doing. Well, that was in a good place as well, wasn't it? Larry Hemsworth. This fake Hemsworth they made up for the show. Yeah, yeah. But I did that before The Good Place came out. So I feel like they stole it from me. <laughs> they stole your joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They stole my joke. My very funny joke. <laughs> so the final season of The Witcher, it would seem, is going to be starring a new actor. Yeah, yeah. The final season of The Witcher. Unless everybody watches it and thinks, wow, this guy's way better. Let's keep going with it. Could happen. We'll see. I did see the main writer for The Witcher, I think it was, talking on Twitter. This really opened my eyes to why the show just really doesn't work for me. The main writer going, I thought it was really interesting to explore the idea of racism from the perspective of elves being discriminated against. And I'm just like, bitch, that is the thing the fantasy genre has done since the fantasy <laughs> genre existed. You are not original. This show is so bad. Yeah, I'll never watch it. It's fine. I think the only problematic fantasy racism thing that I saw was Bright. Oh god, it's so bad. Really bad. Okay, let's move on. This one's a rumour, so pinch of salt, etc. But Greta Gerwig might be entering negotiations to helm the live-action film adaptations of The Chronicles of Narnia for Netflix. Okay. If that's true, that's a good thing. I know everybody wants to see Barbie. <laughs> It's the most talked about film ever with no trailer, no nothing, just some set photos. People are going wild for it. I think it's quite sweet because you'd expect that people might just slight it because it's this hyper feminine thing. Of course, there are issues with Barbie in general, but I think it's quite sweet and funny how people have gone, no, we are going to stand for this Barbie movie. Well, I think it's probably going to play with those old fashioned notions and deliver them in some interesting ways but who knows we haven't even seen a trailer yet yeah yeah the films i've seen of greta goeg's i have liked ladybird i thought was a really good movie i wasn't a fan of ladybird i thought it was fine but for some reason it just didn't connect with me in the way that it did with other people okay. but yeah i acknowledge she's good at what she does so no reason to doubt that this will be any good the narnia stuff i've only seen the lion witch in the wardrobe the one that had liam neeson voicing Aslan, but I haven't seen anything else. I read the books when I was a kid. I don't remember a lot about it. Yeah, I've read the books. And there are a lot of adaptations. I can't even remember how many of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. It's so many. And didn't they try to do like a whole ongoing movie universe with Narnia at some point? They did. There was The Voyage of Dawn Treader and things like yeah. that. They came out. I never saw them, but I did see Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which I thought was fine. It was out roughly about the same time as King Kong. So it was the idea of, well, if Peter Jackson doing his thing at Christmas or we'll have whatever this is this other fantasy thing but 
Netflix are doing these and Greta Gerwig might be making them. So I thought that would be worth noting. I mean, yeah, Narnia isn't a thing that I'm super attached to or anything. No, me neither. I find it a bit Christian for me. It's deliberately so. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. I just accept it's not fully for me. I mean, it might actually be just the tone they chose for those original movies, but they were very little kid oriented, I felt. Yeah. That's just another audience. Maybe they'll do something different with this one, but I do feel like those are books that primarily appeal to children. So I'd assume they want that audience as well as the adult nostalgia for the people who like it. Yeah, we'll see. But you could age it up and make it Lord of the Rings-esque in terms of tone because those were aimed at young people anyway as well. Yeah, it's a bit more, I said Christian. Yeah, that is in there. There's a very overtly religious stuff, which is also, to be fair, a little bit in Lord of the Rings as well. It's very twee, that first movie. I can't remember if the book is like that as well. But it, there's something a little bit overly sentimental about the children in it that I was just kind of like, ah... The Lion Witch in the Wardrobe movie, it feels a bit watered down Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Even the battles and things are just not as exciting. Mm. So, yeah, I see where you're getting from there. And the cast are really young, so it does seem to skew very young in, in yeah. that way. But the His Dark Materials TV show, that had a lot of young characters in it as well. And that wasn't like that. It's good. God, I'm now just remembering. I started watching that during lockdown and I meant to go back and finish it and I never did. But I really liked what I saw. I thought it was a really good adaptation of those books because those books have not been well adapted on screen before. Yeah, Daphne Keane in there as well, who we talked about earlier. Yeah, she was really good as Lyra. Yeah, I liked that. I should finish that. I watched season one. I haven't seen season two yet. Okay, but yeah. season one was great. I loved those books when I was a kid, so I should probably go back and watch that at some point. Yeah, I enjoyed them too. Moving on, back to John Wick. Ian McShane and Angelica Houston are going to be in the spin-off series Ballerina, which is starring Anna de Armas. Ah, okay. So it'll be a ballerina killing people instead of John Wick, I guess. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Different assassins have different skill sets. So John Wick is a gunslinger. He knows how to use guns and swords and axes or whatever. Yeah, I'm up for ballerina assassin. My why was more like, how is that connected to John Wick? How is that not just its own movie? She'll just be another assassin in that universe okay. and those two characters will be in it linking it so yeah it's a spin-off okay. <laughs> i think it's a film or for some reason i thought it was a tv series i don't know i guess the john wick world has way more lore than i expected oh it definitely does yeah you'll get that if you watch even the first one if you can get anna de armis in your franchise then do it yeah to be fair yeah ian mcshane you'll have seen in the trailer for john wick 4 mm-hmm. and angelica houston she's in maybe the second one i can't remember they all just blend together cool that's happening. So Anna de Armas is an assassin. That'll be fun. Yeah, I like the idea of ballerina assassin. That sounds like it will lead to some cool fight choreography. Yeah, hopefully the people making it can do it justice and get decent choreography out of it. Moving on, Joseph Quinn has found his next big project. He was Eddie Munson in Stranger Things. He's going to be in Paramount's A Quiet Place Day One, the spin-off of A Quiet Place. Lupita Nyong'o will also be in it. Not much more is known about the project, other than it not being the third film in the series, based on the idea from John Krasinski, who directed the first two films. Okay. I like the Quiet Place movies, but the problem I have with these high-concept horror things is I think they're really great to see once. Mm -hmm. So, A Quiet Place, we can't make any noise. Great. Then you see a sequel to it, and it's, okay, we still can't make any noise. (laughs) And now you've got spin-off prequels that are still can't make any noise. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think it's a shame that you can't just let a movie be a standalone movie anymore. Everything has to become transmedia, everything has to become multi-platform and have sequels and spin-offs and stuff. For some things, that's fantastic, but for other things, it's kind of nice to have a great standalone movie with a really weird or high concept and 
just let that stand on its own. Yeah, it's horror, but using sound as the enemy, great. But we don't need to do it six times yeah. to make it great. It was fine the first time. And the sequel was diminishing returns as well, so I guess we'll see. This one is going to be directed and written by the Helmer of Pig, Michael Sarnowski, which is really good. Pig is the Nicolas Cage film where he's looking for his missing pig. I'm sorry, what? It's not as ridiculous as it sounds. It's basically about removing yourself from society and why it's good to do that. Okay. Why it's good to not be part of the natural way things are done, this capitalism and so on. Nicholas Cage is kind of on the fringes of it and he goes back into society because someone steals his pig because he has to go find it. It's really good. I would okay. recommend watching it. I'm not explaining it very well. When you say a film about Nicholas Cage looking for his lost pig, I'm just like, oh, that's going to be a chaotic mess. I want to watch that. Then you're like, no, it's this really poignant... <laughs> really deep movie. <laughs> it's from the other side of the Nicolas Cage spectrum. It's from the, wow, he's a great actor <laughs> spectrum rather than the, wow, this is nonsense. Both are great. He's able to do both. He's one of the rare actors that can yeah. do both. Okay. I'm reminded of that line from Community where <laughs> Shirley is like, if I spent years and years starring in different movies, speaking at random volumes, I might eventually win an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage is good. And will fight his corner. But I don't think I would have to too hard with most people i think <laughs> everybody will see him in something that they'll like yeah, yeah. at some point didn't he voice spider noir he did there you go he also voices a mole in g-force which is a film that I actually unironically like g-force it's about a bunch of secret agent guinea yeah. pigs i was gonna say is that the guinea pigs <laughs> it's a charming little stupid film now on to someone that doesn't have that same kind of versatility jeff goldblum he's in final talks to join the wicked musical movies as the wizard of oz i can see it not really stretching too far there that sure sounds like appropriate casting is all i can say yeah don't know if he can sing but does he have to be able to don't think so i haven't actually seen a production of wicked i just know some of the songs so i'm not sure what role the wizard plays in it been to see wicked once but don't remember it well i don't know if he can sing but in terms of acting chops and overall charisma and personality i'm just like yep I can sure see Jeff Goldblum playing the wizard in The Wizard of Oz and therefore in Wicked. He'll be the most Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a two-part feature f presentation for some reason. I don't know why they're doing two films, but they are. Mm. The question is, will Defying Gravity be in the first film or the second one? Because that'll define whether people bother to see both yeah. of them or not. Maybe it'll be in both, just to have a selling point for both. Ariana Grande is playing Galinda. Cynthia Erivo is El Faba. John M. True's directing... And Jeff Goldblum's probably going to be the wizard. Can Ariana Grande act, though? When you're casting for movie musicals, there's the double-edged sword. It's, but can they sing, though? And it's, but can they act, though? Well, I'm not really into Ariana Grande's music as well, so it doesn't really fill me with excitement. Yeah, I could go off on a whole rant about the state of movie musicals, but I feel like we'd be here forever, so I'm not <laughs> going to do it another time. But I do think it's a shame that people prioritise casting just celebrities instead of casting people who actually know how to perform in musicals. That is a good summation of part of the problem. Moving on, we have a couple of horror things that probably shouldn't be horror things. <laughs> the director of the upcoming horror film, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is Winnie the Pooh goes on a murderous rampage, sure, essentially. why not? He's working on a sequel of sorts to Blood and Honey. No, he is just working on a sequel, but he's also developing a twisty take on Peter Pan, this one called Peter Pan Neverland Nightmare. It doesn't say anything more than that. It would just be, I guess, Peter Pan goes on a killing spree, maybe. So characters like Peter Pan, obviously the Disney version is the most famous one, but that is not the original source of that character. So I'm like, who owns the copyright on Winnie the Pooh and Peter Pan? 
because there is no way Disney <laughs> would allow this to happen. Well, I think the original text of Winnie the Pooh recently went into public domain. Ah, okay, there you go. So that'll be why. Yeah. Disney will own the copyright on their version of the characters, but they don't own the copyright on the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because so much of their stuff comes from fairy tales and other stories and stuff like that. I'm looking at the Bambi one, though, and I'm like, wasn't Bambi a Disney original? Or is it not? I don't know. But anyway, yeah, that's the other thing they're doing. It's going to be called Bambi the Reckoning. <laughs> Bambi seeking revenge for the death of his mother. Sure. Okay, so I'm Googling it, and Bambi is based on a book from 1923, so that must also have some level of like, public domain access. Yeah. That's why he's using these characters. I wonder if they're cheating a bit, because it won't go into public domain until next year or something. Is it not like 100 years after the death of the author or something like that? I thought it was something like 75, but I'm actually not sure now that you say 100. I don't know. Anyway, they're doing Peter Pan and Bambi as slasher movies. Sure. Why not? It's a take. Yeah. Why not? My brother has showed me the trailer for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey multiple times. He's very excited about it. I don't know why. Andrew, who's also on this podcast, he's a big horror guy. And he worries that the novelty will be what they try to carry the film on and it will actually just be rubbish. Yeah, I mean, I can see it being very much like a Happy Tree Friends type thing where it's, oh, look at the cute thing, the thing you're used to being cute and for children. And now it's doing a murder. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. But perhaps more horrifying is something that Disney are actually making. Disney's live-action Hercules will be more experimental and inspired by TikTok, says producer Joe Russo. And directed by Guy Ritchie, who directed the Aladdin live-action movie and who cannot direct a musical to save his goddamn life. <laughs> he's doing something else at Disney as well. He's doing another one of the remakes. I forget which one. Maybe it's this one. I don't know why he's being hired for these things. Yeah, Aladdin was awful. Yeah, it was awful for so many reasons. The animated Disney Hercules... When I watch it back, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this movie doesn't entirely stitch together on a writing level. But I loved that movie when I was a kid. It was probably my favourite Disney movie, mostly because of the music and because I loved Greek mythology and I liked the way they riffed on Greek mythology and stuff. I think that stuff is really successful about it still. So I'm just kind of like, oh man, really? This is what you're doing with the live action version of this? I know that these live action ones are not actually to create anything good. They're literally just to like renew copyright on properties and make easy money. But let's just see what they do with the muses, I guess. It also just sounds to me like jumping on a bandwagon. TikTok's popular. Let's do our next film and make it that. Yeah, that too. It'll probably be dated by the time it comes out. It definitely will. And it's going to be directed by a middle-aged man. So you know it's going to be cringy. You don't know what the shelf life is on stuff like TikTok. Exactly. With the production of the original animated one, I know that part of what they wanted to do was kind of riff on celebrity status and sports personalities and have Hercules be the Michael Jordan type figure, the scene where they make the sandals and the drinks and stuff based on him. But that didn't fully make it as the main theme of the movie. It was just sort of chucked in there a little bit and wasn't fully integrated so that's one of the reasons the movie doesn't fully work sometimes maybe that's the connecting point but i'm being very charitable with that <laughs> interpretation okay so in the 90s it was about michael jordan and sports personalities as celebrity and merchandising and these days maybe the equivalent of that is influencers and tiktok but that's a very loose connection i'm being very charitable i think yeah it doesn't fill me with confidence mm. Although you do have the Russo brothers producing it. They said some weird stuff recently about the two-hour film. I've got the quote here. The two-hour film has had a great run for about 100 years, but it's become a very predictive format. It's difficult, I think, to work in it. It's sort of like saying, we all like sonnets, so let's tell sonnets for 100 years as many ways we possibly can. Okay. 
but you guys make two-hour films. Yeah. Or three-hour films. So what are three you talking about? Three and a half-hour films. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. So what, is it going to be like five hours long? Is it going to be 20 minutes oh, long? God. If it's based on TikTok, is it going to be tiny snippets? What is this? You have to buy a ticket to watch tiny snippets of the film over the period of three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. But they're still doing those live action Disney remakes. Great. Yeah, no, they won't stop doing them because they just make a ridiculous amount of money no matter how bad they are. So shrug. Yeah. Moving on to something I'm a bit more excited about. There's a picture of Emma Roberts who's in a rom-com called Space Cadet. It's just a picture of her with a weird headset on that says Flamingo on it. But it's directed by Liz W. Garcia, who directed The Lifeguard, which is something I have seen. It's got Kristen Bell in it. Hmm. Pretty good. It's from her own original screenplay. The film follows Florida party girl Rex, played by Emma Roberts, who turns out to be the only hope for the NASA space program after a fluke puts her in training with other candidates who may have better resumes but don't have her smarts, heart and nerve. Okay, yeah, I'm so into this. It has Poppy Lou, Gabrielle Union, Tom Hopper... Colombian pop star Sebastian Yatra, David Foley, and so on. There's other people in it. I like Emma Roberts. Mm. I've seen her in some pretty awful stuff, but she's usually good. I feel like this concept could go a really fun, interesting way of breaking down gendered stereotypes and could be really fun. I like the concept. I hope they do well with it. She's going to be in Madam Web, which is the next Sony Marvel Spider-Man thing. Oh, of course she's Julia Roberts' daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I was just Googling her, see if I've seen her in anything. I'm just like, yeah, of course she's Julia Roberts' daughter. Another industry child. Nepotism. Nepotism baby. Yeah, that's it. But she's actually good. I've seen her in a bunch of things. Doesn't mean they can't be good. I don't know if you've ever seen Nerve. That's a really good no, film. Oh, I haven't. There's a film with Dave Franco in it that's actually quite good. Okay. This will be fun, perhaps. I'll give it a watch because I like when I see her and stuff. It's going to be a Prime Video thing. Okay. So is that a series or a movie? A movie. Okay, I'll probably watch that. Sounds fun. Moving on, Bradley Cooper is going to be playing Frank Bullitt in Steven Spielberg's new original movie based on the classic Steve McQueen character. New original movie based on the classic character. <laughs> They're putting the character that was once played by Steve McQueen in a new film. Okay. Basically. What a roundabout way of saying that. Like James Bond. He's played by someone else, but it's a new film. Ah, I see. Okay, okay. I haven't seen the Steve McQueen Bullitt film, but Bradley Cooper is a lead can't really go wrong with it. Yeah. In the original film, Frank Bullitt is a no-nonsense San Francisco cop on the hunt for the mob kingpin that killed his witness. It's considered one of McQueen's more iconic roles. Have they made any other movies of this since McQueen played it? Or is this the first time? It doesn't look like it. I think there's just the one. So it's just something that Steven Spielberg likes and he says, I'm an old man, I can make whatever I want. Yeah. And he's making this. But I'm not making the new Indiana Jones film, which we'll talk about in a moment. But like I say, you can't really go wrong with Bradley Cooper. I don't know if he's on the same level as a Steve McQueen. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, I was at a prosthetics industry event thing where they had interviews with various makeup artists and prosthetics artists. And one of the people who was being interviewed said that Bradley Cooper was his favourite actor he'd ever worked with because he was really nice to work with as a makeup artist. So that's nice to hear. Okay. He seems like he's a nice guy. Yeah. We're approaching the end now. The penultimate news item is Kaylee Spaney is in talks to star in the next Alien film. There's a few Alien projects floating around. I was say, this is one, one of them. <laughs> this is the one with Fede Alvarez directing, so not the Noah Hawley thing, whatever that is. That's it. She's possibly in that. She was in the sequel to Pacific Rim. Oh, yeah. Hi. I remember that. The young girl in that. Yeah. And she's going to be playing Priscilla Presley in Sofia Coppola's Priscilla movie. Oh, God. They're making another movie about Elvis. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Not the same Elvis as the last one. The wheels were turning a bit in my head. I was like, are they making a sequel to the Elvis biopic? <laughs> 
No, no. This one will have Jacob L. Ordy playing Elvis. Okay. It's about her, I suppose. Wouldn't she? I find. I haven't seen her in anything other than Pacific Rim that I can think of. I think she'll be good, though. And it depends what they do with it. The alien films are usually rubbish now, so can't say I'm that excited. Yeah, it's a shame. I went to see a double bill of the first two last summer, one of my first cinema outings since the pandemic, and that was really cool to see because I actually hadn't seen the second one before, but I had seen the first one okay. before. And watching them both back to back was interesting because it makes you realise how they're both very, very good, but they are just slightly different genres. It was cool. It's horror versus action, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is great. And I think the franchise holders should look at that more and think, let's not keep trying to do the same thing again. Let's see what else we can do with the universe. Mm-hmm. Kaylee Spenny, good for her. I didn't think she was doing anything after Pacific Rim, but I haven't really followed her career. Yeah. So <laughs> possibly I've seen her in other stuff. I just remember her being the young woman in Pacific Rim 2 and she was good. She's the one who had the robot that rolled around or something? A small yeah, robot? that's right. Scrap her, whatever she called it. Yeah. The last news item is Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones 5, which is happening. Somehow. It's popular. (laughs) This one's directed by James Mangold, not Steven Spielberg. And there's some details such as it's going to be about the moon landing in 1969, which is apparently a project that happened because of ex-Nazis. But are they really ex-Nazis? Who knows? Hmm. And there will be de-aging technology used in the opening scene to de-age Harrison Ford to how he looked in one of the old films. Oh, okay, it's only the opening scene. The way the headline was phrased made it sound like it was going to be the whole movie, and I was like, just cast a different guy. But yeah, if it's just for one (laughs) scene, that's a whole other story. It's set in 1969, and the last one was set in the 50s. Mm. So in terms of the time moving on, that makes sense for him just to be that old. Yeah. That sounds fun. The rumour is that the film's going to be called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It's a great name. Fighting Nazis again, even though it's in the 60s, which is weird. Mads Mikkelsen is playing the villain, who's inspired by Werner von Braun. I can see him playing an evil Nazi scientist. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to be his goddaughter, apparently. Okay. And there's other stuff that's happening with it. But the de-aging, it's quite funny because Harrison Ford said in an interview, it's the only time he's seen it where it looks good. Mm. But I feel like you could just cut the quote off as, it's the only time he's seen it. (laughs) Because that's probably true. Yeah, it has been used in the Star Wars sequels. Not for him, though. Yeah, not for him. Actually, I think it was mostly used in Rogue One, so forget that. It was used a bit for Luke and Leia in 8 and 9 as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In flashbacks. But he's not in those movies, so maybe he just didn't see them. Well, he's in 9 for one scene, but he probably hasn't seen anything other than the scene he did. Because he hates Star Wars. Yeah, he does hate Star Wars, and I can't remember how good the de-aging was in those scenes. Yeah, I don't remember, but... Sure. That's the only time he's seen it that it looks good. And then I'm sure he said after, if you'll excuse me, I need to go and do some motion capture for Red Hulk, whatever that is. What? Because <laughs> he is going to be playing Thunderbolt Ross in the what? MCU now. I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know this? No. Oh, taking over for William Hart, who is now dead. Yeah, of course. Oh my God. To be fair, I hadn't really been reading up on the Thunderbolts. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. They can film old man Harrison Ford in an office with green screen behind him or something. Yeah. And then and then they can scan him and make him look like Red Hulk. Because that'd be hilarious. I'd love to see Red Hulk Harrison Ford. Yeah, or well, they're going to do the thing where they superimpose his face on a big Red Hulk. It's going to be weird. It's always weird to me. Giant Mark Ruffalo face is still weird to me. <laughs> I always look forward to seeing more Indiana Jones. I'm in the minority that likes the fourth film. I don't think it's too bad. I remember watching it. I know that I've seen it, 
I know that there's a scene where he survives a missile in a fridge. That's about all I remember. Yeah, that's near the start of the film. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf's his son. Yeah, he's not in this. yeah, yeah. They've got to keep plugging away at these franchises, don't they? This will probably be the last one for him. So whether they'll continue on with someone else or they'll recast. Last month we talked about how there's plans for a TV show, probably young Indiana Jones-esque, that he definitely won't be involved in. Mm. But I do feel like the Indiana Jones character could be like James Bond. It could just be you pass it over to someone else that's sort of middle-aged mm. every time and do a couple and then keep doing more. I guess. I suppose a lot of people connect Harrison Ford to that role inseparably, and I get that, but I don't think I'd be quite like that. Yeah, and it's not a character that's been set up in the same way that Doctor Who and James Bond have been to constantly change, but I'm like, make new adventure movies as well. You have your franchises, but I'd like to see some new adventure movies as well. <laughs> You'll get the Disney Plus National Treasure spin-off. Pretty soon. Sure, I didn't know that existed. Those are fun Nicolas Cage movies, those two movies. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones-esque. Or you can watch Tom Holland and Uncharted. No thanks, if you want. I'm all right. I wouldn't recommend it. It's okay, thanks. I don't even like the games. I like the games, but the film was awful. My problem is I can't see Tom Holland as anything other than a child. That's the thing. I remember saying this when the trailer or whatever came out for the Uncharted movie. I feel a little bad for him in this situation because he just kind of has a baby face and we're so used to seeing him play Peter Parker and he was a child actor too. So I think in people's heads, he's just perpetually 16. He's not, clearly. He's like in his 20s or something now, but it's weird. The thing I was reading is that Tom Holland, Haley Steinfeld and Florence Pugh are all the same age. Oh, God. And they're playing different ages in the MCU. Yeah, that's true. Mull on that for a while. Yeah. Try and resolve that. Well, I just feel old. But yeah, Tom Holland, yeah. he just looks young and that's his problem. So when you see him as Nathan Drake, you're like, you're not Nathan Drake. You are just some young guy some child from the local school but then you get mark Wahlberg making fun of him for being young it's just a terrible film oh, yeah mark Wahlberg was in that too don't know what they were thinking with that movie well he was nathan drake years ago before they made what they make now but indiana jones is back and might be good this time <laughs> i really hope he's looking for something i don't really want it to just be nazis and on the moon or going to the moon and all that stuff if he's not poking around the temple getting bitten by creatures or whatever i'm not keen on that <laughs> we'll see what they do with it i guess yeah we will there'll be a trailer pretty soon probably five minutes after we finish recording yeah <laughs> just the way it goes but anyway that was our last item thank you very much for turning up for your first news outing i hope it wasn't too strenuous no thank you for having me i like just doing this with my friends and stuff in general so this is basically just me getting to gossip about movie news with someone it's fun your turn will roll around again in a few months <laughs> the way it goes maybe next time there'll be more things that are from series i actually watch involved maybe that's the beauty of it you end up seeing something you end up thinking oh, i didn't know i was interested in that but now I yeah know. like the space cadet movie i'm probably gonna watch that well that was november's news i'd like to thank neil stenson for the supplied music if you liked what you heard please do hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And most of those places will let you rate and review, which would be great if you could supply some kind of star rating. But Issa, I will ask you, what kind of rating would you like? What number? Nine million, obviously. Nine million. Yes, if you can do nine million stars, set up however many accounts that takes mm -hmm. and just give us five stars on each one to get nine million stars. Yeah. If you want to discuss anything that we discussed here, or anything else really, you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Blog, or leave a comment on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. And as always, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod. <laughs>